What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in. This is the first episode of the Bain Campaign. I'm your host, Max Bain. I'm joined by my other two hosts. Before I get to them, just want to say, uh, in addition to thank you guys for tuning in, if you guys like what you hear today, go ahead, press subscribe, leave a nice rating. If you don't like what you hear today, let's just go ahead and act like it didn't happen. Uh, now, over to my other two hosts. I'm Brian Smith at Cub Prospects on Twitter, and I'm a minor league writer at Bleacher Nation. Uh, I profiled Max in March. We got to know each other. I saw Max as one of the more open and honest professional athletes I've come across. And Chris and Max and I have been talking about a way to to share that uh, ability to be open and honest with people in a way that I think we're really excited about. And I'm Chris McLean. I am not a pitcher for the Cubs. I don't write for Bleacher Nation, but... I'm a huge fan of the game of baseball, and I've got a little podcast I do on the side called the Turn a Pair Baseball Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Turn a Pair Chris, and I love interviewing baseball players and just kind of talking through their mental headspace and as, as they progress through their journey in the game of baseball. And so that's kind of what I do. Um, the three of us, as Brian mentioned earlier, we're going to kind of do something similar here. We're going to talk to Max and, and his journey through through his ups and downs in, in, in the 2021 season. And of course, we're going to have some of Max's friends and some of Max's foes on as well. I'm super excited. We've got a great get, uh, list of hosts here. Brian, I'm going to I'm going to throw some some praise Brian's way. Brian is like one of the best minor league baseball writers in all of like all of Twitter, all of baseball, whatever you want to call it. So I'm honored to be with Brian and Max. Incredible. Your, your story is incredible. Uh, in fact, tell us a little bit about yourself, Max. Yeah. Uh, so we can do, let's do the abbreviated version. Uh, the full version is over written by Brian, as he mentioned earlier over at Bleacher Nation. Uh, highly suggest you guys go view that, uh, check that out. Um, so for me, long story short, um, I have not had a conventional path to where I'm at right now. Um, I'm currently with the Chicago Cubs minor league system. Uh, I spent all of 2021 in high A as a starting pitcher. Um, but in, in wrapping up how I got here, uh, I graduated from a division two school uh, by the name of Northwood University in 2019. Um, but I was not ready to play professional baseball at that point. I was 300 pounds. I was throwing 88 to 90, not nearly as hard as I throw now. Um, and just wasn't, wasn't a complete pitcher. I didn't have amazing off-speed stuff. Uh, I kind of guided my changeup, didn't throw my curveball hard. Um, I had a couple draft prospects, but nothing really panned out. Um, so from, from the draft, uh, from getting passed on the draft, I went and signed a contract in the United Short Professional Baseball League, uh, where I spent the remainder of my summer, um, made some tweaks to my, uh, movements and my delivery and, it just didn't, just didn't work for me. Uh, I walked a lot of guys. Uh, I aver I actually averaged over one an inning. Um, so I, I you know, I kind of knew at the end of that summer, uh, I wasn't a good athlete. I wasn't throwing hard. There wasn't really anything special about me that made me worthy of getting signed. So, um, that's kind of when I, you know, had that cliche conversation, you know, you looked in the mirror and it's, you know, I had, I had to make some changes in my life and, uh, th through that winter, I started investing in the uh, driveline throwing protocols, um, the plyos, all that fun stuff, learning the biomechanics of what I'm doing, uh, learning a proper throwing program, being diligent and detailed in the everyday uh, training. And then I started lifting through uh, uh, Eric Cressy down in, down in Florida, uh, just doing the remote stuff. Um, 
So uh, through that offseason, I lost uh, about 35 pounds. I got my way down to 265, 270. Uh, and instead of topping at 91, I was up to topping at like 97, uh, which, which was a huge difference. And that, that led me to that contract with the Chicago Cubs, which was right in time um, for their 2020 winter instructs and then directly in time for uh, the COVID pandemic. Uh, so over the last, uh, uh, for that, for those 12 months that we had off of baseball, uh, I spent my, I spent more time becoming a better athlete because at, at winter instructs for three days of spring training, uh, I, it was a big eye opener that I wasn't where I needed to be. I looked around and I saw better athletes. I saw guys that did things better than I did. Um, so, you know, I took the summer, logged my innings in a batting cage, uh, out in Waterford, Michigan, um, and I just, I became a better athlete. I dropped another 35 pounds. I'm down to 235. And instead of being, you know, 93, 96 for 20 pitches, um, I'm 93, 96 for hundred pitches now. And I've even got up to 99 at spring training. So um, I guess this isn't really a short story anymore, is it? What's really interesting to me is that Max signed with the Cubs in like January, 2020, and then went about 17 months without actually pitching for them, not because he wasn't healthy, but obviously because of what happened with COVID in the, in the world around us. And so Chris, I feel like by the time Max started actually playing for the Cubs, he was like one of the more well-known undrafted free agents ever, thanks to pitching Ninja and, you know, the, the um, prospect outlets that had started to hear about this six foot six guy with a 98 mile per hour fastball. And, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting to make your debut under those circumstances. Yeah. It's, it's, I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I was gonna say, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. I that's how I found out about Max. I mean, because it was I love the story of the guy who wasn't the first round pick in Max's case, wasn't even drafted. And all of a sudden, all these different people on Twitter are talking about you. And uh, whether it's a, a you know, people like Brian, right? The the Cubs minor league. Um, writers and Twitter folks and but it was just baseball people in general pitching ninja you mentioned it Brian that's where I picked up on on your story and um, pretty cool and by the way I think we should uh, throw I want to throw a challenge out there you hit 99 in the spring hmm. um, you, you're one mile per hour away from 100 I, I I throw like the opposite of gas so I'm thinking maybe we do some sort of a challenge. We talked about it beforehand, right? You're going to get, you're going to get a throwing program put together for me. Yep. So let's have a contest. If you're going to shoot for a hundred, I'm going to shoot for, I'm old. I don't throw anymore. I just throw BP to little kids. 80. 80. And if, and if I threw right now, if I threw right now, I'd probably throw about 65. So I got like, I've got like 15 Maybe we could do something. I don't know. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We'll start. Uh, let's start seeing things like as you start throwing, then let's, then let's set the handicap. Let's not, let's not set things before we know with what we're working with. Right. Like that's, that's not fair. That's not fair to either of us. Um, but, but I'm yeah, going to need you to help me beat you though. Cause I don't know yes. how to throw. So you have to like put a program together for me. Yeah. I got you. I'll compete. It's like me competing against myself. Coach <laughs> max versus player max. <laughs> um, you know, I, you know, Brian, Brian, you touched on a little bit, the, the 17th month, the 17 month lead up to me actually playing in affiliate baseball. And in a lot of ways, like obviously COVID has been a huge impact on our everyday lives. And, uh, you know, it's, been, it's brought a lot of negative things to this world. And, but there, there is a small part of me that's um, thankful for the time that it brought. 
Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, having the perspective of going to that first camp and being like, okay, I'm still like, yeah, I've changed a lot and I've earned my way to be here. Um, but it wasn't something I wasn't where I needed to be in order to stay. So in a lot of ways, um, I think everything, you know, happens the way it's supposed to, but and not that COVID, you know, was a positive thing by any means, but like I said, there's a small part of it where it brought me another 12 months to become a better athlete, to become a better pitcher, to sustain the velocity a little bit more and just become a little bit more compete or com complete, sorry, uh, a little bit more complete. So I was ready to, so I was ready to compete, uh, at the affiliate level, uh, in 2021. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, the pinned tweet on Max's profile for a long time because I projected the 2021 minor league rosters and did not have Max on any of the minor league teams. I just had him competing for a bullpen spot in low A, and then the guy comes out and gets a high A rotation spot. So, you know, I, I, tap my, I pat myself on the back a little bit for giving Max the motivation necessary to get where he is, but, you know, I, I don't know if uh, I get all the credit here. Brian, I think where? I think it was pretty funny because just the just the Michael Jordan meme, obviously the tie with the Bulls, and uh, my parents were like, "Does Brian know that it's on that it's on your profile? Like, is he is he okay with that?" And I was like, "Yeah, we talked like Brian and I talked about it. Like, I, he know he knew from the start it was all just so that that was funny. But uh, I appreciate you bringing that up. So just to make sure that Max stays motivated, you're going to project him as like what 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 is the projection this year going to be? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, should Open we go day to Myrtle? Oh yeah, right. <laughs> rookie rookie league, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna set it a little lower. I know that. I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna give him something <laughs> to work for. But I, I, like, I mean, I think that's actually a really good entryway into talk. Like what we're doing today, I think that's gonna be different than our future episodes. Is we're not gonna have any guests on today. Uh, we're just gonna talk to Max about the about this 2021 season, and we're gonna get you know his story of this year and the mental ups and the mental downs and go through that. And then we'll use that as a jumping off point for our future episodes where we'll talk to his teammates and his opponents a little bit about some of those same mental hurdles they went through and allow them to connect in their similarities and differences in pro ball. I think what I'm most excited about here is, you know, I interviewed Max back in, in March-ish of, of 2021 or, yeah, whatever year we're in now. But the thing I liked about it is, is Max is – very genuine, open, honest, and vulnerable. And, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people, a lot of baseball players, and to a degree you get that right. But I think Max is just kind of all in, all up, all in, and, and I love it. And I think that's what this is, right? That's what this is going to be. I'm super pumped to be a part of this. And I'm really excited to hear the conversations as we move and we progress down each episode where, like, when we have Nick Lofton on, which we'll talk about here very shortly. Nick Lofton hit a home run off of Max, which is the first professional home run that Max gave up. But I'm excited to hear the two of them talk about that and kind of the open dialogue there. And I think that's what this whole show is going to be about, just kind of that open dialogue between these guys. And um, Brian and I are kind of along for the ride and who knows what will happen. But uh, I'm super excited to dive into this. So we've got kind of a, here's the thing. We don't have like a show format. I guess just I'm talking to the audience at this point. We're just going to kind of run through this and wherever we go, we go. This might be 30 minutes. It might be two and a half hours. <laughs> Who knows, right? We'll we just kind of, really yeah, we'll just kind of see where it goes. We hope you like it. Um, 
if you do like it, as Max mentioned, give us a good review. Tell your friends about it. Obviously, we want people to listen. That's how that's how we're going to grow the show. And then the other thing I'll say is hit one of us up. Send us a message on Twitter. Uh, send us a DM. Let us know what you like about the show. And if you want to give some constructive feedback, we'll take it. If you want to be mean, um, then send it to somebody else, not us. Act like it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, will say, exactly. though, before, before we start, you know, I think um, – the promoting the humanity and within the game and just shining a light on, you know, we have a lot of really fun guests over this first season, including three first round picks, which is going to be awesome, but shining a light on just how each path is so individual and it's so unique and everybody has their trials and tribulations and, you know, everything that they work through to get where they are right now. I think that's going to be so much fun. And I think that's something, it, it's something different that um, hasn't really been brought to the community uh, quite yet, just from this, um, just from this angle, I should say. Um, so I, I just know that I wanted something like this when I was in high school and in college, just to know what it was like to be, just to be a pro ball player. So, you know, to give back to the, uh, to the next generation of the game and um, hopefully, you know, not, I guess, hopefully enlighten the community as to, you know, really what it's like, you know? Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's been a good reminder for me to, to talk about going through the human side of it, because, you know, in this side hobby I have, I evaluate players and, you know, I was going through this morning and I was looking at Max's season and his splits and his game logs. And I was like, okay, if I didn't know Max at all, and I was just looking at this profile, you know, what are the things that are going to jump out to me? You know, there's, there's the, a good month here and a bad month there. And I, you know, I could, I could, show you splits over certain lengths of time but I think what's going to be interesting about this experience is learning how sometimes what's happening off the field is making such an impact on what's happening on the field in a way that we can't really appreciate and I think starting to learn how players bridge those two things together and the impacts that certain things have more than other things is going to be really informative to me. Can I can I start us off with a question? Absolutely. So Max, I'm curious, we talked about how in early 2020, you were at spring training, actually, you and I were both there at the same exact time, probably 100 yards away from each other, when the baseball world sort of paused, mm -hmm. what we thought would be two or three weeks ended up being several months. You went back to Michigan, I went back to Wisconsin. And then you come back in April. Now you're already there, but you walk back into the facility in April and you see your teammates, many of which you probably hadn't seen in a while. What's going through your mind when you walk back into the facility, knowing I'm about to embark, truly embark on my first professional season? You know, I think um, one of the things that made spring training somewhat easy for me was that I really trusted my preparation. And I didn't know anybody. So I had, uh, you know, I, I knew a couple of coaches. I knew a couple, I knew a couple of players, but it's not like where I'm at now, where I know a lot of the guys within the organization and, and COVID, uh, the, the COVID procedures provided a lot of interesting um, opportunities that didn't exist before, you know, uh, and not that I can act like I've been at spring training prior to 2021, but uh, I had heard in years past that, you know, you have to watch a certain amount of games if you haven't been to double A or higher or something like that to where, I didn't have to do that in 2021 and it wasn't, and I, and I chose not to, I didn't want to watch anybody else. Cause it wasn't it, for, for me, for me personally, and not knowing anybody, 
that spring training for me wasn't about anybody else but me. I want to go show up, do my job the best of my, to the best of my ability, like I had prepared to do. Um, so there, there was an element. Of course, I'm nervous. I'm putting on a jersey for the first time, and man, uh, I think 17 months. I think we, I think we kind of covered that. But I'm putting on a jersey for the first time in 17 months. So yeah, 100%. I'm a little bit nervous, and I'm, I'm pitching at a stage that I hadn't yet pitched at. And but I knew I could get good hitters out. That was one of the things I really benefited from in doing the live at bats through, uh, February and March. Um, and, and I think it showed during spring training for the, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, I, what's interesting to me is that you are like sort of a, a child of the facility, you know, training lifestyle of, you, you know, coming from, from velo, tra- velo training in a facility indoors, you know, really controlled environment. And then you go to pro ball where I think, as much as people talk about how you got to make it about the process, not the results in pro ball, the results do end up having a lot of impact, probably both on the way that you're feeling about yourself at the end of a day, but also in the way that, that your front office makes decisions about you all as individuals. So I'm curious what it was like to go from being in such a controlled space to being in a place where now you're being told where to go, what to do, and, and know that a lot of that's out of your hands. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll say for the days that I was on the mound, we had, we had quite a bit of freedom to do, uh, kind of prepare in the way that we wanted to leading up to the outing. Um, but it was interesting having like a set time that I was ready to go or being prepared to, um, you know, I can remember a, like a live scrimmage setting where I threw the fourth inning and I have to be ready. Like I have to throw before the game and then you go get loose in the bullpen. It's like, okay, I haven't done this yet. I need to, I need to remember what that's like and get that stimulus back to kind of appropriately go out there and compete to the best of my ability where in that setting, you're just kind of thrown into it and you just have to do it. So um, in my mind, man, I just had to go out there and be me. Like that's, and it was, like I said, it was really easy for me not knowing anybody. I just, I just went out and did what I did. And it was, it was, it was really fun. It was really, really fun. How, how long did it take you to transition from preparing yourself to throw live ABs at X2? It's like you go through your whole warm up, your mental mm-hmm. and your physical preparation kind of leading up to that first at bat. But it's a little bit different when you're coming in in a scrimmage in the fourth inning or you're coming into a spring training game. How long did it take you to transition from training, like, like Brian said, in that controlled environment versus live in game? Um, so there, I mean, there's a pretty distinct moment that, that kind of stands out to me and, uh, and I'll get into that here in a second, but I think for the first few weeks of camp, that was, you know, um, in, in all the training I did to throw harder, I wanted to go into camp and hit a hundred. That's what I wanted to do. I, you know, that, that to me was going to leave an impression. If this guy showed up, if we signed him at 270 and he was, you know, showing 97 on a rap soto to, you know, he comes back the next year, 35 pounds lighter, and he's able to hit a hundred. That was like, that's what I wanted to do. I knew the results would come eventually. If they weren't there immediately, they were going to come eventually because the process over time is going to prevail. Um, but there was a game we played the, uh, we played the Angels low A team. And that was the first time that I had gotten a pitch inside of Sloan Park. And, uh, and one, of, one of the things I had noticed, because I already, I had already done foul balls for, for one of those games, um, was that they kept the, they kept the uh, radar gun on in left field. So it was on one of those like electronic electronic boards and they kept the gun on. And I remember warming up and this was with, uh, I had Morty, Clayton Morton as my pitching coach. 
was, I was in the bullpen and I was like, dude, the ball is coming out so well today. Today, like today is going to be the day. I'm, I'm hitting 100 today and it's going to say it on that freaking scoreboard up there. Like this is going to be sick. And I went out there the first inning and I struck out too. And I got a, uh, a fly out to, uh, I think Ed Howard was playing short for me that day. Um, but I mean, every pitch, I'm looking at that freaking gun because I'm just trying to throw <laughs> this thing as hard as I can. Uh, and, and you're used to looking at a gun after you throw, right? Because I went, throw, I went from having every throw that I made radar to having hardly at all. Um, but I was excited, man. I wanted to go hit 100 miles an hour. You know, I, I was pitching well already, so I knew that the performance was going to be there. And I wanted to go throw that thing 100 miles an hour. And uh, so I remember I, I come off of the first inning, strike out two, get a pop-up, and I'm feeling really good. Uh, I'm 97 to 99, and it's it's so awesome, man. It's so cool. It's like seeing the fruition of all this work, right? I go off for the second inning, and the gun shut off. And I'm like, damn, like, what the, what the hell, man? Like, I'm about to do this thing. I want to see it when I do it. Uh, and, and I finished that outing. I went, like, three. I think I had six gays, and I gave up a hit. Overall, really, really good day. Um, and I got pulled into a meeting with, uh, uh, I guess I'll just say an authority figure uh, over the next, uh, I think it was the next day. I got pulled into a meeting and he just said, he's like, man, we were watching that outing and it just it didn't seem like the primary goal was actually pitching. It seemed like you were out there to throw hard. And I was like, that's because I was, but the results were coming with it. Like to me, that to me, it didn't matter wh where, the, where the motive was. I just want like, I want to throw hard and the results were there. So like, to me, that's a good day. Um, but they, they actually shut the, they, they were responsible for shutting the gun off on me and kind of forcing that pitching comes first and whatever the radar gun says, the radar gun says. Um, so that's kind of when it, that's kind of when it had to switch for me. Um, and even having, you know, even having the gun in South Bend all year, uh, I think if, if either of you guys go to a game there, you'll see that the scoreboard gun isn't exactly uh, accurate every time. Is um, it hot? No, no, uh, it's, well, it's kind of depends, man. We've had, I've seen a guy that's 91, 93 hit 103 on there. So like, <laughs> it depends on the day. Uh, it's honestly, it's better at picking up the catcher's throws than it is the the pitcher, uh, than, than the pitcher. So, um, but having that, like knowing that it's inaccurate, you just quit looking at it. So it was like, I had this harsh, harsh reality put in front of me. And then it was like, it kind of just morphed its way into how I approached or not how I approached, but it morphed its way into every outing just because I knew that there was never going to be a reliable gun to look at. When you get pulled in like that with the, to the authority figure or with the authority figure that you mentioned, is that like a, Oh shit principles moment or principles office kind of moment for you? Like, do you have nerves? Like, uh, I, well, I don't know. I, like, I, you know, I didn't realize what the meeting was going to be about because, well, hmm. I should say, I thought it was going to be about something else because we were going in and the goal was to talk about the shape of the curveball and how we want to get that back to where it was in 2020 versus where it had been. Uh, and then the meeting kind of like, we started with that and then the meeting kind of evolved into this. And I was like, Oh damn, I didn't realize I, you know, pissed people off doing this. So like, and, and I'll say the authority figure is somebody that really understands the process that I went through and understands the day to day. So it's like, he, he understood where I was coming from, but at the same time, we both, um, I guess he was also adamant that a change needed to be made. If that, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. That's, that's development at work right there. Right. That's, yeah. Oh, hundred uh, percent. And then, so that spring training, when do you start to believe, I guess, first that they're going to keep you as the starting pitcher 
And when do you, when do you even realize that what level you're going to go to? Cause I don't know that people know this about spring training for minor leaguers, but guys get kind of put into teams that they'll call low A, high A, double A, but it almost never actually matches up with that level. And so sometimes you can have a low A guy go play with the triple A team and stuff. So that, as I remember talking to guys during that time, that there's a lot of sort of, it's not clear to anyone necessarily what their path is, especially if they're sort of caught between levels like you might've been. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I spent, we had, I think we had a four week spring training or three and a half, three and a half week spring training. I spent the first three weeks grouped with Myrtle beach and I was good with that. Like I, I told, um, TC, who was my pitching coach in South Bend, I told him, I was like, my goal was to go make a full season affiliate. I didn't want to stay behind in Arizona. I just want to go play full season baseball. So I kind of understood first year I was probably going to go start in Myrtle beach. Um, as far as taking on the starters role, I think I started to grasp, grasp that the same outing that, that I was just talking about against the angels low a team where I was out there. I started the game obviously, and I was going three innings and I was seeing other guys that, I kind of realized we're going to be bullpen guys. They weren't following the same throwing uh, workload or volume increasing or increasement. Um, so we had, uh, I found out that South Bend was going to be likely. Um, it was the Sunday before spring training ended. And coincidentally, I had a start that night against the San Francisco Giants. Um but it, I was promoted to the high A team or the high A group, I should say. I still started the low A game that night, which this is kind of, this outing is kind of the start of the first half of the year for me. Um, I'm psyched. And I know that things happened or uh, COVID may, uh, COVID resulted in quite a bit of injuries this year. So I understood that things happened and um, maybe I wasn't supposed to go to high A at the start, but I was probably pushed in that role as well as my performance helped dictate that I was worthy of going there. Um, but I get put in the high A group and I'm starting that night against the low A Giants. And I go out there and it's a four inning, it's a four inning outing. Um, first two innings are great. I strike out six. Awesome. Um, there's a video fan graphs posted that is so much fun for me to go back and watch sometimes. Uh, however, what they don't show you is that the next two innings were both rolled. I, I didn't get through them. Um, and there, and part of that is you're limited on pitch count. So if you don't get three outs within 17, 18 pitches, you're going to get rolled. Uh, but the other part is, is that I wasn't beating their hitters. I was going through the lineup a second time and I wasn't beating their hitters. So to me, I'm, you know, in hindsight, I'm living this outing right in the moment. And I'm like, damn, I just, uh, I struggled to get through a low A lineup the second time through. And I'm about to go to high A and start like the hitters, like there's a difference. They, they, they we're getting more refined at every level. These hitters are all going to be really, really good. They're going to be the best of what I just saw. And I think that was kind of the start for me of being like, Oh shit, I need to be more than a thrower. Like I'm going to have to beat teams. And I'm working at that point with a fastball curveball and cutter. So, and the cutter wasn't objectively good. So I'm working with two, a two, you know, probably 50, you know, 50 grade, maybe, maybe 55 grade pitches and a 40 grade cutter. And I got to go beat high A lineups and I'm struggling to beat low A lineups multiple times. Um, so I guess that's, that's kind of the long answer. As you're having these thoughts, like these, this negativity starting to creep in, it's like, oh man, like this is going to be really hard. 
Are you talking to anybody about this? Um, a little bit. I can't remember having like, I don't have a distinct conversation I remember having, but I do remember talking to uh, the guests that'll be on our first show, Aiden McIntyre and Rio Gomez, uh, just kind of going through the day-to-day with them and you know, talking to them about, oh, hey, I just got made it. I just got promoted to the high A group. And oh, no, I just went out and pitched against the low A team and didn't throw all that well. Like, how do I prepare differently? Um, and they, I mean, they gave you, they gave me good answers, but I didn't, I don't think I truly accepted them at the time. Uh, just telling me to stick to me and stick to my process and trust that, like I said, trust that the preparation is going to prevail. Um, so I, I talked to both those guys. I didn't really talk to anybody in house because. I think as an athlete, you don't want anybody uh, that you share a clubhouse with or anybody that you're, uh, that represents uh, an authority figure to know that you're having doubts. Sure. Well, I think what's also interesting is that for you specifically, South Bend versus Myrtle Beach, there's a big difference in what those two places are geographically to the people that you care about. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, sh- I'm sure that there was some a little bit of extra pressure about I really want to get to South Bend because, and I mean, you can tell people why, why South Bend is going to be more meaningful to, to you and your personal life. Right. Uh, so, so from being from Detroit, it, I mean, that's a three hour drive versus a 12 hour drive. Um, so, so getting the, you know, uh, making the South Bend roster and realizing that it was a reality or the possibility was a reality. It did. There was a little bit of added pressure, and especially being put in the high A group and then having the low A outing that night. I even told Morty. I told Morty when we got back. I was like, "Man, I really wanted to put that extra like stamp on it that I deserve to go and I like that the spring wasn't a fluke. Like I, I deserve to be there." Um, and, and I think he understood it. Uh, but I, I do remember telling like. I remember telling my mom, I was like, Hey, I like, I think South Bend, like it might be happening, but I'm not going to say it until it's hundred percent. She's like, Oh my gosh, we got the bags packed. We're coming to your first outing, whatever. And it's like, Oh my gosh, it's not hundred percent. It's not hundred <laughs> percent. So knowing that they were as anxious as I was hundred percent, it adds more pressure, but um, you know, you just kind of live and you cope with it and still go about your business. When is the last time somebody had somebody from home, I guess that's not necessarily in the baseball world had watched you pitch. Uh, you mean, do you mean like family or? Yeah. Like fam- okay, yeah, family so, or friends. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's, that, that was also nice about independent ball is that I was playing 20 minutes from home. So my parents were able to come to every game. Um, so it, it had been that same 17th month period uh, gotcha. that I had to train. So. Hey, can we go, I want to go back to something you said earlier, um, I had asked you if you shared those doubts and concerns with anyone and you had touched on Aiden and Rio, but you said you didn't, you specifically made a choice to not share it with anyone in-house. And I can understand that in the beginning, right? You don't want, you don't want to show signs of weakness, um, or perceived signs of weakness, if you will. Um, but we've discussed the shows about kind of mental headspace it's about Mm -hmm. being vulnerable as you got comfortable in the organization and and we're going to get to this stuff here soon you had some some really big highs and some really low lows Mm -hmm. did that change did you did you find someone internally that you felt comfortable enough to talk to yeah you know I think the more I shared clubhouse with guys and actually uh, shared the clubhouse with guys and got to know 
um, the guys who were there every day, um, you know, specifically like I was Burl's, uh, Caraway's locker. Uh, I was, not, he was to my left all year. So him and I both kind of struggled out the gate and we were able to use one another, uh, to kind of bounce our mental struggles off of one another. And, um, I think as I grew closer to, uh, George Thanopoulos and, and Tony, uh, Coggle, uh, who are our R and D guy and our pitching coach in South Bend, as I grew closer with them, I was able to kind of convey it, um, in a way that wasn't so uh, not terribly open, but like they understood what I was trying to say. Um, and I mean, we can go through, there's a number of outings I could, I could talk about where uh, going to TC after and just being like, uh, I remember uh, Lansing, we, we threw against, we played Lansing in, in right at the beginning of June. And it was right at that time that I started picking up on like, I really want to try to get more swing and miss. And I'm out there. I remember being out there for the first two innings and I'm back home. I'm back in Michigan. So I got a ton of people there watching and I'm out there counting the swing and miss that I'm getting and the swing and misses that I'm getting. And it's like, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm, I'm telling them because I, I, you know, I'm out there. I want to perform well, but I also want to, um, I want to meet what we're, I want to meet the criteria of what we're looking for to go to the next level. Right. Um, so it, I mean, you, you find people eventually, uh, but it's not there off the gate. And I think until you find those people, you want to, normally people are going to want to be uh, pretty reserved on negative thoughts that they're having. So baseball, you know, you see like Bull Durham, you see Major League, the old school baseball guys uh, generally don't have time for uh, perceived weakness. Right. Right. So um, what environment do the Cubs create or, or do they create one? Or, or maybe this is a question you can't answer as a current right. employee. But I mean, is there like I know I know I've, I've actually in, in my my own podcast, uh, I've interviewed mental skills coaches for organizations. Mm-hmm. Do the Cubs offer that? What's, yes. And, yeah. Okay. And that I mean, there were a couple of occasions this summer where. Uh, you know, I got lucky in the sense that they were there that week. Obviously, I would have liked them there in prior weeks, but right. it kind of worked out timing-wise to where I sat down with uh, our mental skills guy. His name's David. And I sat down with him and talked to him for like 45 minutes, just emptying out all of my BS. And uh, I did that right before uh, an outing in Wisconsin where things kind of started to turn around at the end of July. Uh, and I did that towards the end of the year too, uh, as we worked towards the end of August, um, or I shouldn't say end of August. I think it was right at the end of August. I talked to him just cause there were th- some things going on off the field that, um, I needed to like separate from how I was performing. Uh, so, so they create an amazing environment and it's one that I want eventually to be in baseball because I want minor leaguers to have, uh, a less stressful life. What we do every day is a very stressful, uh, it's a very stressful occupation and we're being judged on every, or we're being evaluated on everything that we do and every step that we take. So um, the more that we're able to be like, we want to be here, transparent, vulnerable, the more that we're able to do that in a profession that hasn't typically had um, that opportunity. um, I think the better, I think the, I think you're going to see a better, uh, just a uh, overall a system that develops better if we're able to clearly communicate how we're feeling on a day-to-day basis and uh, apply um, just kind of like, I don't know, problem solving, uh, 
or having the mental skills guys to kind of help us solve our, our issues that we're dealing with at hand. I think you're just going to see a better development uh, system across baseball. I, so I, I want to dive into like a few of the specific outings here and maybe go a little chronological over the year to talk a little bit about where that headspace was sure. during times that to me, you know, from my uneducated view, stand out on a game log sheet. And I, you know, I think the first one that we might as well start as your first pro start. Um, and, you know, I, I remember Max's first pro start in my own way. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a game that I knew, you know, going into that day that I was going to watch. I think I probably didn't work for a few hours and just, and got ready to watch that. And I, I remember the first two batters so clearly the first batter Max, I believe, I mean, Max, you tell me, I think, was it a walk on four pitches or a walk on five? I think it was. A, so it was a walk on five. Um, okay. And this was, I mean, so South Bend, we opened up, it was May 4th, I believe was the, uh, I think that was our opening day. Uh, I think it was May, I pitched on May, May 6th. Uh, it was May 6th and May in South Bend isn't exactly warm. So we didn't have a ton of attendance and we still had the stadium, uh, stadium policy, uh, limiting capacity, but people who were there included my agent, my girlfriend, my family, a couple family friends. So like I have these people here to watch and this is like the big coming out party, right? We finally get to go do this at the full season affiliate. I walked the first guy on five pitches. Uh, and then the next kid who comes up and we're going to, we'll, we'll talk about this story with him as a guest. Uh, next guy who comes up is, is Nick Lofton, who was a first round pick of the Kansas city Royals in 2020. Um, and I remember, you know, I was doing my own kind of my own scouting report. And I remember seeing uh, Lofton on there. I'm looking through his game logs and stuff and going through his stuff at Baylor. And then I see he was in big league camp and he hasn't, I started on Thursday. We started the series Tuesday. He didn't play Tuesday or Wednesday. This is his first week in, in affiliate baseball too, but he was in big league camp. I'm like, all right, like, why is this dude not playing? What is going on? And, uh, you know, I kind of go through uh, hot, cold zones, whatever. And I remember talking to George, um, like, Hey, we should probably, it looks like any sort of extra base power he has high and tight. Like, let's not, let's just go ahead and avoid that. Uh, we were both on the same page with that. And I got, you know, I, I got Nick down. I want to say I got him. Oh, two right off the rip. And then I got to a spot where I was like, yeah, my stuff's going to be better than that scouting report. Like FS scouting report. I'm going up on him because I have power stuff and I'm going to beat him. And, uh, of course, right. Get humbled immediately. And, and Nick turned around and put, uh, put the ball in left field bleachers, um, which is pretty hard to do with it being that cold. Uh, <laughs> so um, that outing was interesting just because, you know, after those first two hitters, that was the only hit I gave up that day. So like there were definitely positives to take away, uh, had four strikeouts. Uh, command was like a little bit off, but um, by and far, or, you know, by and far, I thought for the most part, it was a pretty decent first outing, pretty average to above average, you know, try to walk away with the positives. Um but it wasn't until later that I realized just how good that lineup was going to be this year. So, um, yeah, man, it, I mean, a whole lot of nerves going into that outing. And then for it to start the way it did was just like, it, it kind of brought me back down to earth a little bit. So you seem to have really good recall. I'm curious bit. from the moment you hear the crack of the bat until you throw the next pitch, what thoughts are going through your mind? Well, I was actually pretty, um, <laughs> believe it or not, I actually kind of laughed a little bit because it's okay. So the way that the South Bend stadium is set up, 
um, there's a scoreboard right behind home plate. And I played at stages before where they have the radar gun there. And that's really fun because you just get to watch every pitch and nobody knows you're doing it. Um, but this in South Bend, they have the pitcher's name and his ERA down at the bottom of the scoreboard, uh, obviously with the big score up top. Um, but what I found funny was that I hadn't logged an out yet. So my, <laughs> my ERA is technically infinity. infinity. However, it doesn't show that on the scoreboard. It showed me at a zero. And I was like, all right, we're like, it was like the kind of like, everything's going to be okay. Like one swing's not going to ruin everything that we're doing here. Um, so <laughs> it was kind of funny. I, that's, that's, that's what I remember. I remember him hitting it and being like, there's no way that's going to get out. Right. And sure enough, it did. And then turning around the scoreboard still saying zero, even though it was two zero quad cities. I just, I remember that being kind of a funny moment. Max had a tweet this week where he posted a video of every home run he gave up in 2021. And yeah, I think I watched the video a few times. And one of the times I watched it was just watching Max after each home run and just like the hopeful spin around that Max does thinking, yep. you know, there's a, there's a good chance that ball's not going out. And, you know, it's just like, and then there's like, I think there's two in there that you, that you definitely know, and you can, you can yeah. start to see Max get mad, but that's a, I recommend everyone just watch Max after those balls get hit. It's, it's I will say, I will say the first, so the first one was um, Jose Tena of uh, the Indians organization. And if you watch me on the mound, he hit it and I knew it was gone, but he hit it. And I was like, I kind of want to see where this lands. <laughs> and uh, the way Lake County's park was set up, they had like a huge, huge billboard of ads out in right center. And uh, I remember watching the ball go over the ads and I was like, Whoo. and that you could kind of see me turn around and be like, eh. Uh, <laughs> just like, ah, you really got that one. So, I mean, the reactions are fun, but you know, I think, uh, to the point of that video, there's nothing that anybody's going to say about me that I won't say about myself. It's, uh, it's like the classic, the eight mile scene at the end, uh, here, tell these people something they don't know about me. You know, uh, I don't care, man. I'm good. I'm going to get beat that. You know, everybody gets beat. I beat, I beat Lofton this year too. You know, people aren't going to, we probably won't talk about that too much, but I did beat him this year. Um, so well, we got to talk a little trash to him. Oh, we will a little bit, but like he also <laughs> got me twice and he had a double off me in the last series. So like he, he beat me, but like I beat him too. So we're all going to get beat. I, it's like I said, there's nothing anybody's going to say about me that I won't say about myself. One isn't, I mean, it has to be such a big takeaway from that outing that, that then you don't give up another hit. And I mean, I, I would, I would think, you know, looking at that outing, if I was involved, I'd be like, okay, I had a nervous first five minutes and then things were pretty good. So I would imagine you came away from that feeling higher than, than I guess maybe we've let on over the last five minutes. Oh yeah. I, I think so. Um, I, it was, I still realized that everybody was a really good hitter in that lineup. Um, I don't think I realized just how good, but the, I mean, that lineup had a lot of guys who finished the year. Um, I believe they're double A affiliates in Arkansas. Uh, that, that lineup had a, had a good amount of guys that finished the year in Arkansas. So um, to have success against that lineup on day one, to, to a relative extent, have some sort of success against that lineup on day one, there are definitely positive takeaways from that. And that's what you try to run with from outing to outing. Well, later in the let's go later in the month and we'll go sure. back. We're going to I mean, the nice thing about Max's season is there's a real ebb and flow of positive to yes. negative to positive to negative. So 
we're going to veer onto a rough outing. Yep. Because it's interesting to me that May 25th, you're at home and it's the, it's one of two times this year that you didn't make it out of the first inning. Sure. And I, I can, I can tell everyone that the Cubs have a policy that you can only throw a certain number of pitches in an inning if you're a minor leaguer and they take you out, if you get to that number. Uh, so yep. I assume that that's what happened to Max in that inning, but you know, tell us a little bit about that's really your first moment in pro ball getting sort of truly, truly humbled and what that, what you remember from that day. So not only was that the first time, like you mentioned that I got truly humbled, but that was also the first time I threw in front of uh, coordinators. Right. Oh, wow. So there, there was a lot of first, right. Throwing in front of coordinators. Um, that was also the first time I had the first start of the week. Uh, and, and for those who didn't follow, or for those who don't know, the way the minor league schedule was set up this year, you'd play Tuesday through Sunday and you'd have every Monday off. And some teams would run a six-man rotation, but for us, we would run a five-man. And what that meant was if you had the Tuesday start, you also had the Sunday start. And you would go to Saturday, Friday, it, you, get the, you get the gist. Um, but that was my first time having the Tuesday, Sunday. And uh, we had known nothing about Fort Wayne. That was actually a pretty uh, – that day, May 25th, was actually a pretty big day for the South Bend Cubs. But that happened long after I was done. Um, but it was just a sense of – I think I get, you know I gave up two home runs that day. I didn't throw a ton of strikes. Uh, Augustin Ruiz and uh, Justin Lopez both tagged me that day. And Lopez took me out to center, which is hard to do in South Bend. Um, but it was just a feeling of like, you just have to grind through it and it sucked. You know, I, I think I handled it pretty well, uh, better than I did at some points later in the year when I wasn't having success, but you just have to grind through it. And you're going to have those days where nothing goes your way. Uh, you know, I can't point to anything specific that happened where it wasn't like I was getting bad calls or where there weren't plays being made behind me or, anything like that. It was just, I just didn't have my best stuff that day and they, uh, they capitalized on it. So, um, yeah, man, it, it, the, the, uh, I think the biggest takeaway I had from it was, uh, you know, Skip came and talked to me after his name is Michael Ryan, but, um, Skip, we all refer to him as Skip. Skip came and talked to me after he's like, you just got to take your legs. Sometimes it's going to happen to everybody today. It's just your day. Uh, so from, from that kind of point on, you know, sure. I sulked for an inning or two because I just pitched like shit in front of coordinators. Uh, but, um, which that feeling you kind of grow used to as you do it more and more, it just becomes another outing. Um, but for me, that was kind of like the big first. Uh, but from then, from, you know, from the third inning of that game on, especially things that happened later in the game that made it really easy to move on. It was, I got to come back on Sunday and beat these, beat these guys. Cause they're not better than me. I'm going to go beat them on Sunday. And I, I had a pretty good start. You know, I followed up with uh, five, with three hits, only gave up two runs, a lot better command. Uh, didn't strike a ton of guys out, but it, overall, it was a great bounce back to come back on Sunday and prove that I could beat that lineup. How, how long? So when you have a rough outing, like you did on the 25th, we kind of go like solid on the 19th, the next start, the 25th, rough, solid on the 30th, rough again on the fifth so it's kind of that every other when, yeah. when you have a rough outing like that how long does it take for you to sort of I don't want to say get over it but kind of put it in the rear view mirror and start looking towards the next start um 
I think it differs because July, I held on a lot. I held on to things a lot longer than I should have. Uh, the first one, that May 25th start, was relatively easy because we had our viral brawl that night. So, like, coming out of that game, we weren't talking about how I didn't make it out of the first inning. We were talking about how, you know, we got guys beating the crap out of other dudes and another dude on the other team throwing baseballs at our guys. Like, that's that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about my outing. Uh, um, you know, so – uh, you know, I remember Lansing, Lansing was, Lansing was frustrating. And that's, that's that June 5th outing that we're talking about right after I bounced back against Fort Wayne. And um, again, I'm back at home. I got college teammates there. I got family there. I got my girlfriend there. I got her family there. I got agent there. I got, I probably have a group of 30 people there to watch me throw. And this is, this is my day. Um, I come out in the first, um, we had, I, I got the first two guys out um, and I think there was a there was a throwing error on the third on the third uh third out get the ground ball i'm out of the inning throwing error we get uh the the inning eventually evolves i think the next guy hit a hit a double hit a double of the gap so brings you know obviously with two outs you get that guy on first gets a great jump there's no you know pausing nothing um he scores so we immediately go down one zero and offense bounces right back i come back out for the bottom of the second it's one to one and I remember thinking, I was like, all right, fresh start, whatever. Um, typically, I just say, fuck it. Like, I, it is what it is. Move on. Uh, first guy that comes up is, uh, his name's Armenteros. He's a big IFA guy, a uh, big international free agent. Um, I think he saw, I was hearing that he signed for like $4 million or something like that. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's go get this guy out. And that's going to turn the outing around. Um, so I started him with two, two sliders, uh, or it might have been curveball slider. And then I went back to the slider on the third pitch, already up 0-2, made a really good pitch, ball off the plate, and he caps it right in front of the plate. I go to field it, and I lose my footing. So he reaches on that. Um, we get to – man, how do we get there? We got to uh, first and third with one out. Can't remember exactly how we got there. Got to first and third with one out, and Armenteros is the guy on third, and I don't want him to score. We got a 1-1 game, whatever, right? First and third one out, guy safety or he, uh, like a safety squeeze type deal, but it comes right back to me. I turn around, I fire to second, got the guy there, and there's a missed call at first base, um, and they call the runner safe. So Armatero scores on that, and now we're down 2-1. I'm like, dude, I am making the pitches I need to make. I am getting the balls in play that I need to get in play. I'm just like nothing is bouncing my way. Um, so that, like that outing with the way it started, I feel like had it started differently and things, a couple, like one of those things bounced my way, whether it be the throwing error, I don't lose my footing. We get the double play. Like if one of those things bounces my way, I think the outing looks a lot different. So that's what, like, I don't want to say that's what I held on to, but like, that's kind of what I held on to because I knew that had those things gone differently, I would have pitched better. And that's what I try to take in the next outing. Yeah, I mean, what is that like quicksand moment like when an outing starts to go, you know, from from going well to something you can't control happening, and then it's and then you sort of get that heaviness. I mean, I think anyone that's played any sport can relate to that feeling of like, I'm starting to lose it. I'm starting to lose it. Now I've lost mm -hmm. it. You know what? What jumps out to you this year about uh, about how you sort of went within a game? with those ebbs and flows and like, was there something that you were better at in at the end of the year than you were in the beginning of the year in dealing with those moments? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the game got, the game got really fast for me. 
uh, at the start of the year. And once things started to spiral, um, they, they would just go. And I it, like, I would just started throwing, I quit pitching. I just started relying on throwing because that's what I did for 17 months. Um, you know, as soon as guys started to time up the fastball, I would just ditch the fastball, go to the off-speed stuff. And I kind of abandoned my fastball as even though it's my best, it's probably my best weapon. It's got a really good amount of vertical carry to it. It's got a decent amount of arm side run to it. It makes for kind of a special pitch, especially at the top of the zone. Um, but I would abandon it and the game would get fast. And when you abandon that, you start, you don't throw as many strikes. You don't land the off-speed at the same clip that you do the fastball. And you start giving out free passes and the momentum builds and it builds. And finally, it just, it just kind of like collapses all at once. Um, but there was, there was a moment, even though it didn't work out in my favor, there was a moment in the middle of August against quad cities where, um, I was in the fifth inning of a scoreless start and things started to go haywire. And I can't remember exactly how we got there, but I, I'm backing up, I'm backing up home plate. And we have uh, bases loaded, um, back at a home plate, and the throw kind of goes, and it goes up the third baseline. And I have to slide in front of in front of the third base dugout to keep it from going in the dugout so I can avoid giving out that extra free base. I slide, I make the I make the stop, I keep the ball in front, and I have it. And when I look up, I see that we have two, we have two runners at third base, right? So the guy who was on second, he decided he's gonna go third. He thought the guy on third was gonna try to score. So we have two runners now. In my mind at this point, it's 1-0. I, I had just given up my first run. It's 1-0. And if I throw this ball, I'm throwing it into center field. If I throw it to third base, I'm probably going to sail it, and I'm going to throw it into center field, and then two guys are going to score because that's just how baseball works. Like, if you try to do too much, it's going to bite in the ass. So I got, uh, I got Luis Vasquez begging for the ball at short, and I'm like, I'm kind of nervous to throw this ball. I got a guy, I think Huma was playing second. Huma's begging for the ball at second. And I know I'm not throwing all the way to second base. Um, so that was a moment where I was like, I'm just going to eat this. And for me, it didn't work out because the next hitter was none other than none other than uh, upcoming guest, Nick Lofton, who hits a grand slam. Okay. So, but for me, that was a moment where it was like, okay, I could have, that moment was in my control and I could have let that get out of control. And I chose not to, I chose to eat it. And I trusted myself that with one out, I was going to get a ground ball and I was going to get out of that inning. Uh, it didn't work out that way, but over the long run, you would expect that sometimes it's going to work out that way. Uh, so for me, that was a big moment where it was like the game didn't speed up on me and I remained in control of myself. Yeah. And I mean, clearly you're not letting the results sort of now sort of change your thinking about it. You're, you're allowing, right. you're allowing yourself to believe in that process. Yes, 100%. I think there, the thing I've learned this year that I believed going in, but at some point I would let that get away from me is that the process matters more than the result. And uh, I, no matter what I need to stick to that, I can't let the results drive what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis or what I'm doing on a pitch-to-pitch -pitch basis. I'm curious. I feel like, you know, in, in any profession, there's, there's mental hurdles, those mental hurdles and physical hurdles. And there's always things and, and at your level, you're really working to develop, right. To get to the point where you can go to the big leagues. And even then you're still working to develop new things. What do you feel like you struggled with the most this year, the mental side of the game or the, by the way, 
we're talking about your struggles. You had a whole lot of really good stuff <laughs> that happened. So it's not like, you know, your ERA isn't like 27. It did come down after that first inning. Um, but but I, I do want to talk about just the developmental side. So yeah. do you feel like your biggest challenges were more mental or more physical this year? And maybe there's obviously a little bit of both, but kind of what were the percentages if you could rank them? Yeah. Um, well, first I got to correct you. Cause after I got my first out, my ERA was 54, not a 27, yeah, 54, not 27. Um, yeah. Sorry. So, um, I think physically this was the easiest the season had been for me because I, I was in the best shape of my life as I remain uh, in the best shape of my life. And it was really the first time that I took the weight room seriously during the season. So the recovery and the throwing on a day-to-day basis, it was all, very, um, I don't want to say, I shouldn't say easy, but it was all very, it was, I took it in stride very well. Uh, and I remained consistent in the way I approach my day to day, um, training workload, however you want to phrase it. Um, I think the mental was really hard because when you're not playing well, it is, it's a lonely existence. Um, especially when you head home from the park. Um, you know, I think, uh, there were a lot of times where I was like, I felt I was in, I was in way over my head and I felt like it was like, what am I missing? Like, it's, it's a, it's, it's a weird feeling, man. Cause it's like, obviously you're, you're put in this position to compete for a reason. And that's because they believe that you're going to have success and you're going to thrive. And when you don't, it's like, what am I missing? It feels like there's a glaring thing that I'm missing, especially if we go through that month of July where I just couldn't, I couldn't beat anybody. And it was like, it just happened. It was like, okay, new start, new me, whatever. Everything's in the past. Let's leave them behind. Let's go. And it's just like the same thing over and over again. It's like, damn, like, what am I missing? What do I have to change? Uh, am I doing something in my, you know, am I doing something in my bullpens that isn't working right? Am I trying to do too much on the mound? Am I not, uh, like I, I didn't know how to pinpoint it. And, uh, that is a, that is a lonely, that is a lonely existence. And it's hard. Um, it's really hard to relate it's really hard to converse with other teammates about that stuff because everybody has their own individual process and their own, you know, for me, for me, my problems might be different than, than Burl, you know, um, you know, it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to explain, but it's, it's lonely, man. So I think the mental was by and far the, the biggest part of what I had to deal with this year and what I had to experience in order to handle better in the future. Is there a well, point? Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, is there a point where, you know, you're you're baseball all the time, right? Yep. Is there a point where you're like, I just I need to get away, right? Mm-hmm. I don't mean like go away for a couple of days, but like, yeah, I need to get out of this and go do something else. And if so, when did that happen? And what did you do? Like a like a Dennis Rodman forty eight hour trip to Vegas. And... <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm sure the South Bend <laughs> no. Cubs let you do that. You know, like they no, just no no no. Um, you know, I think. I think when you're, I remember in July, I was always waiting, like I was craving Monday. Mondays are off day. That's what I was craving because in season you're at the park damn near 12 hours a day. It's 11 to 12 hours a day, especially, um, you know, I'd show up, I'd show up at, there were days I'd show up at like 1130, eat my lunch, head up to the weight room and get my lift in before I throw, which is before batting practice. So I'm there, I start at 1230, I'm lifting till 2 30 i got team stretch at three 
with batting practice until five and you get like a little two hour break before the game, but then you're physically at the game. So you're still around the sport and you're not really home until by the time you shower and, and get out of the park, you're not home until 1045, 1115. So they make for 12 hour days at the park. Um, and when that's the case, you don't really get a lot of time to, to yourself and uh, to separate, you know, life from life from your job. And um, that it also doesn't help that on this physical grueling schedule that we have voluntarily participated in because we were selected to do so, we have to, we have to prioritize sleep, right? That is the free recovery tool. That is, that is the best recovery tool. But if you're going to do that, it's like you have to choose. Um, they, always, they always joke about college. Like you have to choose uh, good grades, social life, and um, like there's one other option, sleep. Yeah, right? Those are the three. You can't have all three, right? For us, social it's like life. time at the park, sleep, time to yourself. You can't have all three. So, and you don't get to not choose time at the park. So you either get time in the park and time to yourself or you get time in the park and sleep. And for me, I knew that I needed to sleep if I was going to continue to compete at whatever my highest level uh, or my highest ability was going to be. Um, so when you do, when you do sleep nine hours a night and you're at the park for 12, that leaves three hours to yourself that you're probably using to go get food and drive to the park. <laughs> like for the most part, you might get an hour, or hour and a half or so, but it's not enough to separate and really enjoy, you know? So um, yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. Well, all right, let's, let's go to, let's go to a positive time yeah, 100%. and talk about the ups, which is, you know, Max referenced a few times that start and landing in front of his family. If we move right after that start, there's three starts in a row where Max is really good. He has his first 10 strikeout game, a, a quality start. And then sort of the big one is June 23rd. Max throws six no hit innings. Um, I actually, I actually kind of feel like the best outing was the June 11th, 10 strikeout one yep, from my memory of watching it. But, um, you know, I guess I'll share that I texted Max after that six, no hit inning game said, I got to write a post about you. Can we talk on your way home? And, and, and we talked about that. And, and I remember one of the things that jumped out to me about that phone call was you said, did you notice I switched sides of the rubber? I believe, right. As I, is that around? Uh, that, well, that was in, I switched sides of the rubber in Lansing. I think we talked about, um, we had talked about on the phone and, I, and I'll let you get to your story, but I think we had talked on the phone that I told you right after those six, no hit innings that my stuff wasn't as good as it was mm-hmm. with the 10, with the 10 strikeout game. So, but anyway, continue. Yeah, I guess, I mean, you pointed out that you'd switch sides of the rubber, which I had not noticed. And I had remembered seeing that like during that start, the, the slider cutter, I, or I guess I asked you about your cutter because I, I thought I saw a bunch of cutters that game and you were like, no, I ditched the cutter a while ago. And now you're starting to throw more change-ups and you hadn't mm-hmm. really thrown a lot of change-ups at the beginning. So what struck me writing about you at the end of June was like how much tinkering is happening behind the scenes that, that, yeah. we're, not, that we're not really seeing. And, you know, I wonder when it comes together on a night like that and and you know you don't even have your best stuff and it works because of some of the improvements that you're getting from the changes you're making right. what is that what is that like well I, you know i think first the that june 11th outing was the coming out party for the changeup. um you know we went into that outing and the way the wisconsin lineup was set up they had three left-handed hitters 
two right-handed hitters and four switch hitters. So for me, that means seven lefties and two righties. So it was like, you know, I, I could throw this slider that I'm not totally comfortable throwing yet, or I could just try to, you know, I've been throwing this change up insides. Uh, I'm just going to go and I'm going to use a ton of them. And I had told, I'd actually told Peyton Remy uh, before he was sent at the double A that there was going to be a day where I'm just going to throw 25 of them and like whatever happens, happens. Um, and, and June 11th was that day that it was the huge coming out part of the change up. And that pitch ultimately set up a lot of success for the rest of the summer. And, um, you know, I think, I think that Fort Wayne outing, uh, six with no hits, eight Ks, obviously a great day. Uh, but I think I'll be the first to tell you that I didn't have my best stuff that day. There were a lot of times where I was down the count two Oh, and I was able to just kind of like throw a, get me over fastball and it would work. Like, it was just like a lot of things that were coming together and, um, you know, odds would say that they wouldn't come together, but it came together on that day. And that was really cool for me because I needed a little bit of success after, um, some of the rough outings that I had been having, um, but ultimately that stretch I'll remember as the coming out party for the changeup. And that was ultimately, like I said, what started to dictate a lot of success throughout the rest of the summer. Yeah, I know just as a, you know, evaluator, I think that the changeups probably the, the thing that, that you can walk away from 2021 feeling the most success about is that, you know, I mean, you described yourself as having two 50, 55 pitches in spring training and, and, you know, one other 40 that you were trying to attack guys with. Well, mm-hmm. now, I mean, I, I think that change ups a plus pitch most more days than it's not. So, you know, I feel like how do you separate, you know, an ERA from from I've added to my arsenal. I'm a better pitcher than I was at the beginning and, and end up, you know, this was a positive year and I'm not going to let any any number tell me it wasn't. Um, well, I think first it helps that there were other guys that had a similar, I guess, on the surface level where the ERA didn't dictate just how their year went. And, yeah. uh, you know, one of those guys was, was Jensen, who we're going to have on at some point. Um, you know, he's a guy that, I mean, if things bounce his way, he's pitcher of the year. He's at least competing with DJ. Uh, but he's a guy that at the end of the year, he ends up with a four or seven or something like that. I, I could be wrong, but he's a guy that we're talking about every other number is saying, okay, he had a great year and he's going to have success for years to come. Um, now for me, I walk away from the season saying at the beginning of the year, I was fastball curveball cutter. We got rid of the cutter cause it was objectively not awesome. It was a contact pitch that, uh, you know, obviously when we have an arsenal that we're trying to build for striking guys out, we don't want to contact a pitch that's relatively easy to make contact with. So I walk away from the year knowing that I picked up two more plus off-speed pitches and the changeup in the slider and the slider got leaps and bounds better throughout the year too. Uh, I, I got to give that it's due as well. Um, but picking up the changeup and slider were huge for me, uh, especially towards the back end of the year. And, and I think that that's something I hold on for, or hold on to from this year, taking in next year, hoping that I can re- reap the rewards uh, of having those for an entire season. So I, I need to ask a question that I feel like I've always long time ago, I worked in minor league baseball and I remember talking to guys and, and it was sometimes they were, they were working on stuff, right? So they go into a game, you know, especially you hear this in spring training where it's like, I'm not really, I'm not pitching to the scouting report. I'm more or less, I'm in here throwing X amount of curveballs, fastballs, changeups, whatever it is. Yep. How often are you in the game? Your game plan is I'm working on my stuff versus 
I'm trying to get this guy out and I'm, I'm pitching to the scouting report. I think outside of my first outing, that's what I was doing every game because for the first outing against quad cities, I went through and I made my own laminated sheet that I kept in my back pocket. I went through this guy. I went through each hitter myself and came up with my own conclusions relative to my stuff. Um, from that point on, we were given scouting reports, which was super nice. Uh, amazing. Um, took a lot of work off my plate. Uh, yeah. But I know that I would only look at that for uh, to see who runs well. That's that's it. Other than that, for, for the majority of the year, I had, to, I had to simplify it to if I execute my stuff, I truly believe more times than not, I'm going to win. Um, and now that wasn't the case every, every outing or even probably even most outings. But um, you know, prioritizing the execution of what I was trying to do, uh, prioritizing the, the thoughtfulness of the sequencing that we were applying uh, and working on that outing to outing, seeing situations that I was seeing in prior outings and either changing or learning from what I did in the past. Um, I think that was the priority of damn near every start this year. From a, for, you talked about, at some point you've talked about throwing versus pitching. Yeah. How would you rate yourself at that in April when you went, when you showed up at spring training to right now, like how, how have you evolved? Uh, I personally believe it's night and day. Um, this is going to sound, this is going to sound dumb, but I went to a, um, I went to a Tigers game for, for my birthday and we were sitting, uh, out in right field, but I'm watching, uh, I'm there to watch Casey Mize is throwing. And to me, that's, you know, I randomly picked the game that Mize is throwing. Um, so I'm watching him throw his stuff and I'm trying to like, I'm guessing what he's going to go with next based on reading the swings, knowing his stuff. Um, and just like, I, I want to play that game with myself. I yeah. want to see what, I want to see how my thinking aligns with Casey. Um, now I don't know the hitters, but to a certain degree, Casey's abiding by the, a lot of pitchers are abiding by the same uh, ideology that their stuff's going to be better more times than not, they're going to win. Um, and I got to tell you what, man, I was like, I don't want I don't want to like boast or anything, but like man, I was like 70 to 80 percent, like right like on with Tony Romo. Yeah, man. Like I <laughs> like I, I don't want like I don't want to take too much credit, but like I actually felt like I was competent in in sequencing with with Casey stuff. Now I have to apply that to my own and, and I'm gonna have opportunity to do that. Um obviously starting next year, but to to go in there and have an idea, reading swings and um I guess even reading takes and going from there to have that amount of accuracy was, was cool. It, it kind of, I guess I proved myself that I had learned. Can we, can we switch gears for a second? We could always come back to this, but um, you and I had a conversation in September about umpires and mm -hmm. their accuracy uh -huh. And, and not so accurate. We're not going to name names here. No. Um, but, you know, how do you, how do you prepare? Maybe this, this sort of goes into the scouting report piece, but different umpires have different zones. Yep. Are you, are you, do you see an umpire, you know, Hey, this guy's calling my game. I know this is his zone. Is that, does that enter your thought process? And then uh, I guess, how does that zone impact you throughout the game? 
Um, if it's consistent, so it, it did. So it did once. It, it did. It did enter my preparation, uh, or my at least my thought process and my preparation once. And so there was a game uh, June first, and this or not June, July first. This is kind of where the struggle started. Uh, where I was throwing at Lake County, and I had never had the home plate umpire before that day. Um, and on that day, uh, I thought I was coming off my three really good outings, and this was the day changeups working, uh, fastballs working, curveballs right like it's right there. I thought I had really really good stuff that day. Um, and if you go look at the box score, it'll show you that I threw. Uh, I mean, it'll show you that I threw roughly just over 50% strikes. I was 51 of 88. So seven more than uh, 44 would be half. So just over 50%. Um, that, uh, the, the umpire that day had, uh, going back and looking at the, at the reports, he had a 63% in, in zone accuracy. So the zone was extremely tight that day. And, and it changed things that happened during the outing, but I allowed it to get to me that day. And it, and it took over the outing at the end. Uh, to the point, to the point where I went back up to the fourth inning and I told, uh, Jensen's like, are you good? And I'm like, dude, if this shit keeps happening, I'm getting tossed. I don't care. I'm, 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 I'm out of this game. If this, if this keeps happening, I'm so done with this. So like, that's where my headspace was as I'm walking onto the field. Like that's where my headspace was. And looking back, yeah. like that's a terrible place to be. Like, I can't, I can't be there. And, and I, and I wasn't there for the rest of the year. Like it, it didn't take long for me to realize that that was not a good, good headspace to be. And I couldn't allow myself to get there. Um, but that was a game where I a hundred percent let it get to me. And that outing got away from me in the fourth inning to the point where I didn't get out of the fourth inning. And it wasn't a, it wasn't an issue of him calling strikes. It was an issue of me executing and missing in different zip codes. So like, yeah, it, it got to the point where I just didn't perform on the fourth inning to the point where I couldn't even be upset about that, you know? Um, so in, in learning from that outing, we circled back to, um, August 5th, the day I come off the development list and I have that same home plate umpire. And I knew it because I had the Thursday start and we showed up on Tuesday and this guy, like I saw him outside the park and I was like, I know that guy from somewhere. I don't know where I can't place the face, <laughs> but I know him. I, I know that guy. And he walked on the field and he's the home plate umpire on Tuesday, which means he's going to have a Thursday game because they two man crews, they go back and forth. Um, and I'm like, damn it. He's going to have a Thursday game. I'm going to have this guy again. <laughs> and uh, So like, it was just a thing where I knew going in that I was going to have this umpire and I knew that I couldn't let it affect how um, I couldn't let, let it affect me during the game because I had already saw, or I had already had negative repercussions for allowing that to affect me during the game. Um, and it, and it helped me quite a bit. You know, that day I went uh, just shy of three, uh, just shy of four innings against Peoria. And um Walked out of there, another hitless outing uh, with six Ks. Uh, and now that was the first game off the development list. So my pitch cap was a little bit, a little bit lower relative to my other outings. Um, but understanding prior to that, you're not going to get every call you want. And that's okay because it's going to go, the, it's going to go both ways. Everybody knows this guy. Everybody knows his own small. It's okay. It is what it is. That having that preparation prior to change, like change that outing. And I think had I known, or I guess, um, I think maybe the, maybe the lesson is I have to apply that to every outing, right? Because if I can apply that to every outing, maybe that first one against Lake County goes better, you know? How do you communicate with umpires during a game? Like, how do you personally communicate with them? Um, that's, that's one of the reasons I like the glove checks. 
um, because it, it gives me a venue to calmly communicate with them. And I learned that throughout the year. Uh, there were times earlier in the year where I just get pissed at them and I wouldn't say anything. Um, but they, it was, it allowed me to calmly communicate with the umpire and just say like, you know, where'd you have this pitch or, um, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but there were also times where, um, if you're the, you know, one of the things that COVID took away was the presence of, uh, ball boys. Okay. So for us, it was the previous day starter would go be the ball boy. And when you're the ball boy, take, you know, you're communicating with the umpire all game, right? So I took that as an opportunity throughout the year to establish relationships with umpires. And not that that helped me in any way, but it allowed me to humanize them a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so I really enjoyed that piece because there were a lot of guys by the end of the year, first name basis, like they're guys I, you know, we'd show up and be like, oh my gosh, yes, we got this guy. Like, it's going to be a good week. I can't wait to be a ball boy. Uh, or I can't wait to throw. And then, you know, I get the, I go to the park the next day and it's like, typically ball boy is like not a fun thing to do, but it's like, Oh, like I get to talk to, you know, so-and-so this day. Um, so it, I mean, that was a pretty cool, that like, that was a pretty cool experience. And then we had opportunities, like there were things that you could do to not be ball boy that day. And I quit, like I quit doing that. Right. And it started with me having a bad outing and just wearing the ball boy duty. But, um, uh, I took it as an opportunity to, communicate with umpires and have working healthy relationships with them um and i think that helped me throughout the year too because it's you know you can't get like it's hard to get mad at somebody when you have a standing relationship with them or it's harder i should say right so you mentioned the development list and i want to get there because i think that every time we are going to read a, a review of max's season people are going to use that as like a before and after. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't think things are ever that black and white as, as what, as what it looks like, but there's, you know, I mean, the numbers do tell a story of a really distinct change happening after doing it. And then you look and, and really it's 11 days, like it's one missed start. So can, can you tell us a little bit about what does the development list mean? What happened during those 11 days? And, are they actually as, you know, impactful as sort of the pre and post splits might look? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think for me, the development list, like you said, it was 11 days and it wasn't because I was hurt or anything like that. It was just, it was a time to decompress a little bit. And it allowed me to have a little bit more time uh, from a prior outing to put it in the rear view mirror and really look forward to the next one. And during those 11 days, I think I threw two bullpens, but especially that first week we were in quad cities, I was on the mound every day and it wasn't all hundred percent or nothing like that, but it's just getting on the mound, seeing the ball go to the glove, seeing myself throw strikes and kind of, kind of a reset button. Um, but I think the change that everybody points to, uh, at least that I've seen through the development list is that I, I kind of, uh, I axed that hybrid windup that I was doing and I went to the stretch and, um, I don't know. I think Brian might've said it, but, uh, there was, I switched to this going out of the stretch, uh, deal full-time the July 24th outing right before the development list in Wisconsin. And that's kind of where, um, we started to pick things back up again, even though the box score wouldn't show it, uh, that outing had a little bit of sense of, um, familiarity to me. You know, we talk about that outing early in the year against Wisconsin at home, where I had 10 strikeouts and, probably arguably my best outing of the year. Um, 
So that was kind of my, that was where the whole stretch, uh, going out of the stretch thing started full time. And I only did that because my change up, my change up grip is really hard to get to. And so if I can just start with it preset, it allows me to get to everything else a lot easier. Um, so I had that outing. It, it started really well. I went four, four scoreless, basically just fastball, fastball changeup. But what I didn't do is I didn't flip in enough breaking balls. I didn't establish it. Right. So when things started going south, this is where I talk like this is what I mean about the game speeding up on me. I start just flipping in off speed, right? Because they haven't seen it. Oh well, let's just start going to it. Let's just start running it every time. And at that point, it just it feels like I'm panicking throwing it instead of relying on a weapon that I've already established. If that if that makes sense. But um in the way that, that one finished and having 11 days, it really allowed me to reset for my next start, which is Peoria. And um that was what I just talked about where I went three and two thirds hitless. Uh, you know, going in that Peoria is not the, at least through 2021, they weren't the strongest of teams. So it was an outing for me to be like, okay, I'm just going to go attack with my stuff, try to do this thing as well as I can stick to who I am, uh, not abandon the fastball, not go all breaking balls. Like I'm just going to try staying even keel this entire outing. And it worked. Did you know that you were going on the dev list like prior to that start in Wisconsin? No, not prior to the start in Wisconsin. So funny story about that. Um, I, I make that start, go to bed, come to the park the next day, and we're getting off the bus, and I see a tweet from uh, Darren Pritchett that I was put on the dev list. And uh, as soon as I walked in the locker room, uh, TC and Skip pulled me into their office. And like, I was like, yeah, guys, I already saw. And they are like, ah, oh, damn, like we hate social media for this reason. Like we want to tell you, we didn't want to tell you, you know, after your start last night, in case it was good, we wanted you to be able to hold on to it. If it was bad, we didn't want you to feel like it was a punishment. So I understood what they were trying to do. And I don't, I don't care that I found out on Twitter. I don't care that like, it's all good. It's not, not a big deal in my eyes. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of the, kind of that whole story there, but yeah. Can you explain what, like, what does that mean? Like what, what happens? Yeah. Like for the, for people listening that don't know, just explain kind of what you get told, Hey, you're going on the developmental list. What does that yeah. mean? Where do you go? So, so essentially what that means is that you're off the active roster. Um, and what they did for uh, Jensen and I, I don't know if anybody else, if we had another starter go on the dev list, I think it was just Jensen and I, um, we just skipped a start. So I made a start on a Saturday. My next one would have been a Friday uh, I skip the Friday start and I come back the following Thursday and throw against Peoria. So I'm just skipping a start and I get to decompress. And what that meant for me was the rest of that weekend in Wisconsin, uh, it was kind of nice because their bullpens were out in center field. I'd go hang out in the bullpen. I wouldn't, uh, like, hate to say this because I love my teammates, but wouldn't really be mentally checked in because, like, right, you, we talk about having the time away from the park. You don't get that. So if that was a time for me to have that, not even being on the active roster, I was 100% going to capitalize on it. Um, but, you know, you go to Quad Cities. Uh, that's kind of where I start to get logged back in because it's a really, really good, uh, really, really good lineup. And I want to watch them because I know I'm going to throw against them later in the year because uh, we still had two series left against them. Um, and I should mention that about Wisconsin as well. We Those were the last two days that we were going to play Wisconsin. So it was like, you know, there wasn't really much to watch. I didn't really need to learn from anything that was going on in the field uh, that directly correlated with the, you know, uh, outing later in the year. Um, 
So you take the week off in quad cities and that's kind of where I start to watch, you know, we had just gotten Chris Clark, um, Jensen pitched his ass off in, in Wisconsin. Uh, coincidentally, that's when he went on the, the developmental list too. Cause I think he skipped that Sunday start in, in Iowa. Um, so start to watch those things again and get back in the dugout, be more locked in with what's going on, kind of communicate with, uh, you know, I used Harrison Wenson quite often as a resource to just kind of talk through stuff and, um, explain my thought process, kind of see where he was coming from, explain my thought process with TC in certain game situations, uh, point out interesting game situations where I had questions, stuff like that. Um, kind of a decompressing time, but also like a chance to just really observe and learn. Yeah, and so as we continue on in the year, I mean, so you come off the Devilist and and pretty much, you know, it, it goes well right after that. And whether people know it or not, Max was the August player of the uh, pitcher of the month in the Cubs system. And, um, you know, you, those, those sort of changes are, are coming to fruition and stuff. Like, I guess that was probably your first time of having it like really rolling where you're probably feeling like you're going, every start now is starting to go well, you know, what, yep. did, how is that changing the confidence of going to the park that day, the, the confidence in changing, you know, maybe what you're doing scouting report wise, mid outing, like what, what's changed, what, how is your mindset flipping the way that you play baseball at that point when it's rolling? I think it just allowed me to trust my stuff more, even when yeah. things started to go haywire, like not even haywire, when things started to get slightly out of hand, I still relied on my stuff to get me out of situations. It wasn't, it wasn't the complete panic mode that I had been in prior, uh, in prior starts. Um, you know, I opened that month with nine and two thirds scoreless innings and coming off a month where you have like an 11, five ERA, you go nine and two thirds scoreless. I'm immediately thinking like, I got a shot at pitcher of the month here and that would be really cool following how July went. And that's, I wanted it. I, I knew on August 12th, after my second start, I knew I had a chance at that and I wanted it. Um, so funny, funny enough though, I talked about that game in quad cities where, uh, I had the two runners at third base. I ate it really good game decision. Obviously it didn't work out. Nick, Nick hit a grand slam. That was August 17th and he, Nick hit that grand slam and I'm on the mountain. I'm like, you got, I mean, you just have yourself to pitch for now. Like you're not, you just blew like pitcher of the month's not happening now. So let's just keep like, just go pitch now. Just, you know, keep the same process, but understand that that end result may not be attainable anymore. Um, fortunately enough for me, uh, it was still at the end of the month that I knew going into Peoria, August 28th, that I had a chance at it. And man, it was just, it was just fun because I knew that if I, it like, I knew with the right energy, my stuff was going to be, my stuff was just better. Uh, like in the month of August, it was, it was really, really fun. And, and I enjoyed it. It was so much fun. What, what do you get when you win picture of the month? They give you like a Camaro or a Chevy Silverado. Like what, what do you get for winning? Uh, a, so, a social media post by the <laughs> official Cubs account. A little bit, a little bit of notoriety. It's, yeah. I mean, it's fun. It, it was more of a, it's more of a personal accolade than anything else. Yeah. It's still pretty cool. I mean, only a couple of guys win that every year and you're competing against, I don't know how many guys, how many guys throw over the course of a month, but a lot of guys. And so that's a pretty incredible thing to, to achieve, especially 
given you know some of the challenges you had in July being put on the dev list and then here you are in August just absolutely kicking ass yeah I mean it really felt like the first time uh that was really the first time that I felt like um I I truly felt like I belonged you know I tried to convince myself of that when I had three pretty good starts in a row uh back in June um but that was really the first time where I was like damn, I belong and I'm having success. Now, some of that comes with like player turnover throughout the year, right? Um, you know, your guys that start in high A are going to end up promoted to double A. Your guys in low A are going to get promoted to high A. Uh, I, I guess a select few are. So you get you do get roster turnover, which is going to help in the long run and uh, being there for a full season. But that was that was the first time where I was like, this is, this is fun for me. And I'm a guy that I take them out on the other team's like, okay, this is their guy. And obviously we had DJ Hur show up at the end of the year and he's, he was like the guy in minor league baseball this year, but I was that guy for the month. And that was really fun for me. Yeah. That August 28th start also has, has one number in the box score that, that is probably super important to you versus (laughs) how we think about the whole year. I'm guessing the first zero walk day was a pretty, was a pretty good, good feeling finishing that up. That was the first thing I told TC when I came out of the game. I was like, it took me, it took me five months or it took me four months, but I did it. I did it. Yeah. I didn't walk anybody. <laughs> and I, and I did that uh, two starts in a row. Uh, we went Peoria and then Lake County and um, to have 11 innings without a walk was, was awesome. And I was striking dudes out in a nice, had a good clip too. And uh, just overall having a lot of success pounding the zone. What was like the walk number this year doing to your thought about like, you, you know, was that like what you were harping on with yourself between starts is like, I got to get that down. I got to get that down. Or, or are you not like, um, you're not letting the stat sheet dictate any change. I think there was an outing that I can remember pretty vividly where I was like, it was, it was kind of getting out of hand and I was like, okay, I can't be doing this anymore. Like I thought I moved on from this. I can't be doing this. And that was my second to last outing in Beloit where, um, I came in out of the bullpen. I piggybacked for uh, Jordan Wicks, our first rounder and upcoming guest on the show. Um, I, I piggybacked for him and it was my first time coming out of the bullpen all year. But, um, you know, I ended up going out there and I think I walked the first two guys I saw. And I was like, all right, I'm just making up for the ones I missed over the last two starts, whatever. Uh, and I ultimately ended up walking six, which isn't pretty by any stretch. Doesn't matter how many innings you throw, unless you throw like 18. Like six is not a good number. Um, but it, that was another, that was another game where we go back to game management and it was like, okay, I put myself in some really bad positions, six walks, four hits. Um, I gave up 10 base runners in, in four and two thirds innings. And I found a way to only give up one run. So that was another thing where you go, you leave that outing and you take away the positive. And that's that I learned how to manage, like I'm learning how to manage the game. And I, there are times where things are going to go south and I can remain confident that I'm more than capable of getting out of these situations. And now I've proven that I can do it. Did, did the idea of, of walking someone when you had an empty base change over from the beginning of the year to the end of the year? Like, were you more willing to sort of allow those things to happen because you had more confidence in your ability to like then end the problem? Yeah, I... I think it was more so a confidence that I was going to be okay if I did it. It wasn't the end of the world. Whereas 
you know, the beginning of the year, if I gave up a free pass, that guy was probably going to score. And it was just like, it was just how the game was going. And it was my acclimation process to affiliate baseball. And that's okay. Yeah. Like it is what it is. That's it, just the brutal truth. And it like, it sucked. There was a lot of growing pains this year, but by the end of the year, it was okay. If there's a guy at first, I'm one pitch away getting out of this. And it happened in the last start in Quad Cities. Um, and we weren't able to, it, it, the, the play, it, it didn't finish in a double play, but I, it got to a point where um, I had first and third with two outs, uh, or I had guy on third with two outs, and I walked, I walked a guy, and then I got the ground ball right after, right? So I'm bounces over my head, I'm gonna get it, goes to our shortstop, ball ends up over our first baseman's head. We don't get the third out, right? We get the second out, but not the third. It's like okay, I got the I got the ground ball again. I'm doing the right things, I'm making the pitch I need to make, and. No, it didn't work out in the box score, but like in my head, like I, I made the pitch I need to make, you know? Yeah. So I want to, I want to shift gears here a little bit. So sure. I mentioned Bull Durham earlier and, you know, Bull Durham's famous for mound visits and the funny things that are said uh, yep. during mound visits. And I think people always wonder what the hell is, <laughs> what do you guys talk about? when you're on the mound and we don't need to get into the, like the X's and O's of baseball, but over the course of the season, I'm sure some weird stuff gets said on the mound. <laughs> what is one of the more memorable mound visits you can remember from the season? Oh man. Thinking about one overall, I think I just had to learn to conduct myself a little bit better in mound visits. Cause they were typically like the mound visits were happening and TC will say this as well. If you talk to him, like, Mound visits are typically happening. If you're not getting pulled, they're pretty much happening when things are heading south rapidly. And it's like, I just, I had to grow up in mound visits throughout the year. And what I mean by that is like TC would come out and I would just bitch. I would just complain. And it wasn't very pro of me to do that at all. But like I learned throughout the year that it was just like, the situation is what it is. And when he came out to talk to it, when he came out to talk to me or talk to the infield, it's, okay, the situation is what it is. Now this is how we're going to get out of it. Instead of the mound visit being wasted with me complaining about what had already happened. Um, now, as for weird things that I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to remember what outing it was, but there was an outing where, oh man, I'm trying to think. I think, I think it was, uh, I think it was Beloit. I think, yeah, I think it was Beloit or maybe even Peoria. It could have been one of the two. But TC came out and things weren't going well, but it wasn't all, it wasn't like all on me, right? There were things going on around me, whether it be a call with the home plate umpire, things going on uh, in the field, um, hitters getting lucky, something like that. And TC came out, I can't remember what the situation was, but he comes out and he's like, hey man, how you feel? I was like, TC, I'm hot and I want to go in that dugout and I'm making every pitch I need to make and I want to go in that dugout and sit down. <laughs> he goes... Yeah, I know. That's why I'm out here. I'm trying to get you over there, but it's not going to happen if I'm not out here because you're just going to keep speeding up and we're going to get out of this, but you just need a little bit of a breather. I was like, I know. I just want to go in that dugout and sit out. I want to be, I'm tired. I'm done. <laughs> I just want to go. And uh, he just laughed and we all kind of, we all kind of got a funny laugh out of it. Um, and I think like the next hitter we got out of the inning. So um, I don't think we had too many outlandish things where we're talking about what to get guys for, for their uh, wedding presents um like in bull durham but yeah. there are i mean there are definitely some that you take away and just kind of like look back and laugh i uh 
I've talked to Dimitri, Dimitri Kokoris, who's one of the Blue Jays pitching coaches throughout one of their, I don't know where he was this past year, I don't remember, but um, he had told me the previous season that he had a couple times gone out to the mound to talk to the pitcher. And uh, one of his favorite things is get out there, walk out real serious, get up to the mound, kind of take a deep breath and look at him and just be like, hey, what's your favorite ice cream? Yeah. And then that's it. That's yeah. the mound visit. And it's like, all right, man. And everyone's like, everyone kind of looks around. They go, he goes around and asks the infielders. And then they all kind of like laugh, relax. And then he's like, all right, man, see you later. I'm going back to the dugout. Yeah. Like, that's it. Yeah. I, I personally was never part of those this year. Um, but I like, I can imagine that that's a, I don't even know if I was part of one of those at college, but like, I can imagine that that's pretty like helpful. Uh, it, you may not notice it at, at the time, but like just kind of resetting mentally and getting out of that headspace for a second to get yeah. back into the game mode. I got to imagine that's kind of helpful. Yeah. Usually there's some negativity that, you know, precedes a, uh, amount of visit. It's not, you're not like eight up, eight down. And the guy, the pitching coach comes out. He's like, all right, man, let's come out and talk about that. That was great. Nice job. Yeah. Keep it up. All right. See you later. <laughs> yeah. They never want to disrupt the flow until they need to. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of, I, I got us off. I got us off subject. I'm going to keep us off, off kind of the, the baseball season. Um, having spent a lot of time around minor league baseball, I can, I can tell you there's a lot of interesting fan interactions that occur around different ballparks inside mm -hmm. the park during games before games after the games um in the towns that you're in what is one of the more memorable fan interactions that you had throughout the season uh, oh man. or maybe that someone on the team had i don't know well i mean one of the things that happened one of the things that happened this year was we had a guy, um, we had a guy that was, I mean, one of our top, top prospects. So what happens with that is you get a, um, you get these card deals, right. Or card manufacturers start to put out your baseball card. People collect them. They ask you to sign all that fun stuff. Uh, and I remember being in Lake County and everybody's very anxious for the away team to sign because they're only here for a week. You can get the home team whenever you want. You get 10 weeks to get the home team. You get one week to get the away team. Um, so they asked this guy, they're like, Hey, like, is there any chance you'd sign for us? And he was like, no, like I'm, I'm going out, uh, I'm going out to the field right now. Like we're starting a game in 15 minutes. And he's like, I'm, we got a game to play. I'm going out there. Uh, I can't right now, but uh, probably like later this week. And I think he went out to the field. I think we won that game. And then, uh, after the, like after the game, the way that the, the way the field was structured, we had to walk back right across these fans to get to our clubhouse. And the guy was, I can't remember exactly what he said, but like, he's like talking shit to him. He's like, he's, he's talking shit to our player. And he's like, Oh, like you suck. Like you, like you didn't sign for us, whatever you like, you're just a really bad player. Like, I don't know. I can't remember exactly what he said, but the fact that the fan went from wanting his autograph to then despising this player to then uh, wanting his autograph again, was like, all right, my guy, we gotta, we gotta relax a little bit. Like we gotta, we gotta stay a little bit more even keel. <laughs> and this is probably um, an adult, not a child. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. typically your, typically your uh, autograph, autograph seeking community is going to be the older, not older, but adult, uh, adult figures, not exactly children. <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah, mentioned I, the, you mentioned the brawl earlier and I was curious about 
where you were during the brawl. And, um, you know, I think one of the things minor league baseball was worried about this year was having six game series against teams and playing teams so much that there was going to be, there was going to be so much chirping happening and a lot more fights. And then you guys got that fight so early in the year that I think like, I think the concern went way up as a result of that game in particular. So what do you, what do you remember from where you are relative to the action happening? Um, well, first I'll say that we cleared, we cleared benches two out of the first four weeks. And I was like, this is going to be, this is good. It has an opportunity to, there's a possibility that this is going to be really fun, but like, this is going to get out of hand. Um, now for that, for that brawl, uh, mind you, this is the day, like we talked, I didn't get out of the first inning. So I'm like, I'm not happy. Uh, however, this starts happening. I go out there because the way like inside the clubhouse, you're either, you're either going to get fined by major league baseball for going out there, or you're going to get fined by, you know, you're going to get fined within the clubhouse for not being out there with your team. (laughs) Right. So like you're picking your poison at that point. Um, so I'm out there. Uh, I was, I was out there for moral support. I don't know that I landed a hit on anybody. (laughs) Although looking back the way it all shook out, like I probably could have gotten rid of some anger that night. Uh, I do remember like, I remember seeing Delvin going in on like, I remember seeing Delvin Perlaza Vasquez. I remember Vasquez had a broken hand and he was out there throwing, he was, he was throwing punches with his right hand. It's broken. And our AT is panicking. And he's like, I'm out there for my team. I'm out there for my team. And I like, I'm eating that up. I love that. But he's also got a broken hand throwing punches with his broken hand. Um, but man, that was, that was insane. I've never been a part of anything like that before. Um, yeah, that was, I remember that seeing was dudes, I remember seeing dudes getting dragged, like dragged across the grass. I remember seeing somebody get form tackled. Like I remember seeing a guy throwing a baseball at one of our guys and then he hit his own guy. Um, like <laughs> it, it was, that was wild. That was a wild night. Are you that like, are, are you looking for someone to like grab? Cause I've heard like brawls, right? Like sometimes guys go and like, they look for someone they know. Yeah. And you just kind of hold each other. Or are you looking for like, hey, who's someone's ass that I can just go whoop? That way, if things really get sideways, like, I know I'm going to take this dude. Like, what? where are you at there? Well, that was the learning experience, Chris, is that I could, like, I wish looking back, the way that it worked out with the fines, the suspensions and whatnot, I wish I would have just picked somebody, could have been completely undeserving. Just pick somebody and just let go of whatever I had inside of me that night. Just yeah, like, just go, suplex them or something. Yeah, four tackle them, you know, yeah. whatever. Uh, but that was the learning lesson, right? Um, now the fines, the fines and suspensions get handed out. And ultimately like we, as a clubhouse come together and, uh, kind of compromise and, you know, you have the backs of the guys that were out there, you, um, all that fun stuff. So, um, I mean, there's a learning experience with those for sure. But that was, like I said, that was really the first time that I'd been a part of one. Uh, and it was definitely eye opening to say the least. And Delvin not getting tossed and then coming up and being like a hero in an, in an amazing comeback. I mean, that has, that has to just be one of the best games to be a part of that you've ever. It was incredibly emotional from that yeah. point on. And I think that was a Tuesday night. So that was the beginning of the week. We had five more games. That was that, that was an emotional game. And I think we ended up taking, I think we ended up taking four out of six that week, but that was one of the more emotional games of the year by far. Excuse me. What, what are the next four nights like? Like, I mean, are, are guys interacting 
at all like on the other team like uh, or is it like you get that out of the way and then you're like all right we got to play baseball or is there, is it yeah. still like is everyone still kind of on edge like this might happen again um i think if i remember if i remember correctly i remember feeling like i think wednesday i was on edge a little bit thinking of like okay who's gonna re- retaliate or is somebody gonna retaliate and then kind of after Wednesday, it kind of calmed down a little bit, but not to the point where you're like over conversing with the other team, you know? Yeah. Um, now I have like, I've, I've made friends on that team. You know, we have a guy that we traded for mid season that was on that team in Anderson Espinoza. Um, so that was kind of fun. Like if, a month and a half later, right. You, you, you welcome Anderson into the locker room and that like, that's kind of fun just to have the hindsight of everything that's going on. And, um, mm-hmm. I'm still to this day, I'm friends with uh, Ethan Skender, who ended up finishing the year in San Antonio uh, in double A form. So, um, like, I think Wednesday was a little bit on edge, but after that, like, it's just baseball again, I think. Uh, the, I remember the, the only time I was on edge for consecutive days was our first week against Quad Cities because there was a little bit of a, um, there was a slide, there was a slide in the first game that wasn't taken very well. Um, and, it was like the retaliation didn't happen for two days. So like, you're waiting for it to happen. You know, it's coming. Like, when is it going to happen? Uh, and that, that was the only time I remember being on edge for consecutive days. How does it work inside of a dugout or a clubhouse? Um, maybe we're getting too inside baseball here, but no, 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 not at all. Um, your, your guy gets, gets hit or, or takes a rough slide or, or something like that. Right. Like, you know, is there a conversation that happens like, Hey, you're pitching today. Want go for their guy. Or is it just like, you know, like I, I need to do something that. today. I don't know that we were ever on that end of it. I don't think, uh, because man, how did the, Oh, there was, I mean, the Fort Wayne brawl, I think we kind of incited a little bit, but like, there's no, there's no conversation leading up to it. And there's no like clubhouse talk. Cause I, like more, more times than not, we weren't on that side of it. It was more so we yeah. were reacting. Uh, and when something like something like that happens, uh, you instinctively, you have the backs of the guys that are sharing your jersey. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, doesn't really matter what the situation is. Doesn't matter if it's deserving or if you're out there because you have to be out there. You know, you have the you have the back of the guy that you share the clubhouse with. Um, but uh, yeah, man, I like. I guess I can't speak to that too much because we weren't on the um, uh, promotional side of too many brawls. Is the is like the clubhouse environment in the minor leagues different than you expected or that you remember from college baseball? Because in college baseball, you guys, you, you're all fighting in the same direction, sort of the like very similar goal in the minor leagues, you know, the wins matter. I'm sure like you guys are there. That's really all you care about. But but also everyone there is there for another reason. They're trying to get better. They're trying to get to the next level. They're trying to get to the major leagues. Does that change the dynamics of a clubhouse you think? I think it does, but I also, I also don't know that I'm the best person to answer that question because in division two baseball, you're not supposed to make it to the next level. That's, you know, you're going to play four years, have a good career, and then, you know, work on, join the workforce after that. Um, your regular nine to five job or whatever. But so there's definitely more of like a team central aspect in division two baseball. Um, now I was kind of enlightened to that 
minor league, uh, I guess we'll call it like a little bit more selfish, uh, sure. individual approach when I was in independent ball, cause everybody's there trying to get signed. Um, now I will say one of the things that I was grateful for are my team, like a couple of my teammates that were there, uh, that I still, that I still talk to, um, just kind of showing me that like you can have your individual goals. Uh, but when it comes down to it, this is still a team sport. And one of the things that, you know, I talked to uh, Nick Lofton and, and Massey and Michael Massey about with quad cities is they just had so much more fun and not that we didn't have fun, but winning makes things a lot more fun and, and it makes it a lot more enjoyable to show up to the park every day. Um, something like that is it's, I don't know. It, it's uh, winning definitely that makes things a lot more fun, but it's also like nobody really talks about it because it's like taboo because you don't want to be the guy that doesn't that you just like you only care about yourself. But like right. it's a little bit of taboo to be like, oh, yeah, like I need to do this, this and this for me, you know, uh, but everybody's under the under a very um, aware understanding that like you have individual stuff to accomplish. And, you know, one of the things I wasn't quite ready for or what I shouldn't say wasn't ready for one of the things I was a little bit surprised by is just like, especially like within our clubhouse, how publicized it was uh, again, like within our walls, how publicized it was, is like the goal is to make it to the big leagues, right? Big league minimum is the same everywhere. So you're not going to turn down an opportunity to be a big leaguer with the Baltimore Orioles. If you know, you can be in AAA with the Cubs, right? Like everybody wants to go play at Wrigley field. It's a great place to play, but at the end of the day, we're all trying to make it to the big leagues. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I guess I was, I was a little surprised at like how, um, how that opinion is just so commonly shared. Uh, yeah. But once, once I kind of started to warm up to it, it was like, it made the everyday life a little bit easier. So you've had a, a full season to get through now. Uh, this will be your, I don't know if we want to call it your second or your third off season. Um, what, now that you've gone through a full season, what's going to change in your off-season approach from previous years? Yeah, um, I think that's a good question because I think uh, I think every off-season is going to be a little bit more, a little bit unique, and you're going to use results to dictate your process uh, or at least help dictate your process going forward. And one of the things I had to do between 2020 and 2021 was hold velocity over a certain amount of time. Right. So I was put in a position where I was logging innings, excuse me, <coughs> I was logging innings uh, throughout the summer. And um, I was noticing that it was like July and I was like 60 innings in and I'm already asking, like, I know these innings are in a batting cage and they're not easy to get adrenaline for, but I was already asking to go at 90% so I could work on holding pitch shapes through an entire outing. Right. That was like my out of getting, getting to do 90% outings. So like I knew full well going into the off season that if I was going to take on a starter's workload in a full season affiliate, I was going to need to be a better athlete and I was going to need to be able to hold below for a longer amount of time. Um, so, and in my mind, I accomplished that, right? Like we talked about, I went from 93 to 96 for 20 pitches to 93 to 96 for 90 pitches. Um, so that was a huge jump. And I think this season or this off season, um, I think the main goal is raising the floor. Obviously I don't expect to go in and hold 97 to 99 next year, but if I can switch 93 to 96 or even 92 to 96 to 94 to 97, 
that's going to change things a little bit. Your stuff's going to play better if it's harder. That's like not, it's not a secret. Every piece of data would say that the harder you throw, the better. Um, so I would like to raise the floor a little bit and I would like to hold velocity better within a start. Um, now what I mean, what I mean by that is I can go get it in the first inning. I can show you your 96, 97, 98s in the first inning, but there, it, you know, towards the end of the year, it was like, if I was showing 95 in the fifth, I was like, Oh, that like, that was a good day. Like I did, I did really well in holding, you know, showing endurance and holding velocity. I want to be able to show 97 in the fifth, or I want to be able to show 97 in the sixth. So again, that's kind of what we talk about raising that floor, being a better athlete, being more physically prepared. Um, and I think from a execution standpoint, I would like to land, uh, land off speed at a higher clip, uh, within the zone. So, um, I think that'll, that'll have a lot of like a ripple effect almost in terms of the box scores we see the, um, success and the results from a at bat to out or at bat to at bat inning to inning, um, all that fun stuff. So raising the floor, being a better athlete and landing off speed at higher clip. I don't know. I think you just want to get to a hundred. I do want to get to a hundred. I do want to hit that. But like, as I started to, as I started to log start after start after start, um, the ability to go get 99 was not, yeah. it wasn't as easy. It was, or it wasn't as easy as it was to do in Arizona. Cause I walked into my first live in Arizona and I hit 99.8 and I was like, okay, I'm right there. Like I'm going to do this. And that never happened. And that's okay. Like, it might happen someday. It might not, but, um, that's not, I, I don't think I would consider that a primary goal anymore. Throwing harder is all, always awesome. But I think now instead of raising the ceiling, I'd like to raise the floor. I have another off season question to, to sort of piggyback that, um, the Cubs in, in the Jed Hoyer, Theo Epstein regime have really struggled to develop pitching. Mm -hmm. um the the move to to bring carter hawkins from cleveland um as the as the new gm is a logical move cleveland just they trade a star no big deal we've got two or three more that'll come back the next right. year to replace them um what do you know about what may change have you already felt any sort of change or is it just far too early in the process to really know how things will be different with Carter as part of the, the organization? I think I, th I still think it's a little bit too early. Um, and I only say that because uh, one, I'm excited to meet Carter actually face to face and, and get to actually talk with him. But two, you know, right now I think we have a bigger, uh, rather than Carter getting himself familiar with everybody in the organization, we currently have the fall league going on. And I think that's taking a lot of precedence over everything else. And it, as it should, I don't, I don't want to say that as a negative thing, like that, yeah. that's what's currently at hand, um, right where their feet are. So like that needs to be priority number one. Um, now I am interested to see like, if there's any notable, uh, changes like on a day to day or, uh, communication wise or something like that. Like I am interested to see that, but I think that's all going to come in time. I think what, you know, today we're recording on uh, October 17th. We did hear today about 
one very big change coming next year in your life, um, which is that Major League Baseball is moving towards covering the cost of housing for minor leaguers. Can you can you just tell us a little bit about what how you feel like that will manifest itself in improved players lives? Uh, I, I can tell you firsthand, it's, it's, uh, it's borderline emotional. Like when that, when that type of stuff comes out, because I think all of us, like, we love the lifestyle that we live. Don't get me wrong. We are all here by choice. Um, obviously we have to get, you know, chosen to do this, but we, there has to be a mutual, you know, acceptance to do this. However, it is, it is really tough to have any sort of a normal life when one of your monthly checks is going to rent and the other one is maybe $700 after tax. Like you're, that's your take home income. That's then getting spent on food. And not to mention that the majority of the time, you're probably not cooking at home. You're probably going to buy food outside of the meals that you're provided at the, at the clubhouse, which the Cubs, I will say did an amazing job of taking care of food at the clubhouse. Um, that being said, having that other meal outside, uh, outside the clubhouse, or, you know, if you're an athlete like myself, where I have to eat pretty relatively clean in order to stay where I'm at, uh, in terms of like my physical shape, if I have to substitute a meal, uh, that's provided with a paid meal, I can't like that gets expensive. That adds up quick, especially when you're on the road and you have to door dash. So what the point I'm getting to is that you don't, you don't, we don't, you don't play minor league baseball to make money. And we all understand that we choose that. However, providing, providing housing, you, you double our income immediately, which is like so huge in terms of like us being able to get on our own feet and start to live some sort of a normal life, even though we remain seasonal employees. And that, again, I want to reiterate, we choose this. And we full, like we full well know what we're getting ourselves into. That doesn't make it any less difficult to, um, to endure some of the stuff that we endure financially. Um, it's, uh, it's damn near emotional, man. It's, it's, it's a really, that today's a really big day for, for minor league baseball. And, um, I, I mean, I'm just thrilled. I, I, I'm thrilled. I get the opportunity to be a part of this game. Was the phone just blowing up today with texts between teammates? Just like, whoa. Um, I personally, I haven't talked to anybody else uh, yet. I've only talked to my agent and him and I, like, obviously we uh, share the same excitement. Uh, yeah. and, and him and I have a pretty, pretty good relationship, even beyond business. So uh, I haven't heard from a ton of teammates, but I know for a fact that seeing all the guys, social media, like everybody is in tune with this and they're all making it aware that we're very excited that this is being presented to us as uh or being given to us a lot of guys have have tweeted out very heartfelt emotional thoughts if you will on on the article that that jeff passon wrote so yeah it's it's exciting it takes it takes special guys to put their names to the quotes that they were given and you have to like yeah we have to give due to Kieran Lovegrove with the Angels, who who really was the catalyst behind this whole thing in terms of being the first guy to really speak out and yep. put his name to it. And that's really hard for us to do because um, it's not hard for a team to part with us if we, you know, if we say things that aren't popular with uh, mm-hmm. with the established traditions, I should say. Um, 
So for Kieran to have that, you know, to kind of be the catalyst among the players. And then, you know, you have more than baseball, you have uh, advocates for minor leaguers adopt a, adopt an MILB player. You have venue or platforms like this, where guys go on and they talk about the stuff that they endure. Like that's, it's all, everybody plays their part in this change. And um, like I said, man, it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible because that's, that's life-changing stuff, man. That's life-changing money. And it may not sound like a lot, right? When you're getting an extra 700 bucks a month, but I don't know anybody that would decline an extra 700 bucks a month. Well, I think, you know, I mean, I think this is actually probably a good transition to, to wrap things up here is talking about the, what we're trying to do here is going to be to give an outlet for, for minor league guys to talk about the experience and, you know, it's not for anybody to come on and complain as Max is talking about, but it's, it's to share with people what it's like to be a minor league baseball player and what comes with it. And I think we'll all end up appreciating baseball more when everybody sort of sees that it is really a bunch of guys who love this sport because you have to love this sport to, to do what you guys are doing. And I look forward to hearing from, from the guys we're going to talk to about sort of the, the touch points you guys have for that stuff. Yeah. You know, I think, I think you bring up a good point that this is not going to be a, platform for guys to complain however we do want to live like an honest truth we want to or we want to expose or not even expose because expose brings a negative connotation but we want to um i guess enlighten people on like just like the day-to-day stuff and the stuff that we go through physically and mentally to do what we do and um yeah man it's just like this is going to be a really cool opportunity this is going to be a really cool show and i'm excited to actually have guests on uh, and kind of, you know, work through that and get to talk to these guys about their interesting past and everything just being so unique to them. And yeah, man, I, I'm just, I'm more than excited to be here. This is, this is fun for me. I, I do want to say there's actually going to be a couple guys who I hope can play in a little bit. Um, Aiden McIntyre, Rio, Rio Gomez and Bryce Windham. Um, yeah. They all lived with you. So I just, I really hope they come on and just complain about you as a roommate and, and tell you all tell us all the just really annoying things that you did as a roommate so that's what i'm hoping for <laughs> oh man i can't imagine uh i'm trying to think back if i did anything <laughs> i pretty much keep to myself man i will dig I for it man we will it's especially it's hard during season because you know we have our own apartments whatnot but you're sleeping there and going to the park. Like we don't do much there. So it's like, (laughs) it's hard to really establish any sort of like, I can't remember a really negative, like I don't remember anything negative that Bryce or Washer did. And even to the, like even Rio and Aiden, like I, I got really fortunate this year and lived with some pretty amazing dudes that, um, I mean, are all interesting in their own way. And they were all great roommates. Well, let's, let's run down the list really quick. Let's give people a a taste of who we're going to have on the show. So we've got, We've got Aiden McIntyre and, and Rio Gomez, who are Oakland A's and Boston Red Sox prospects. Yep. Um, we've got Joe Nehas, uh, Burl Caraway, Ryan Jensen, Bailey Horn, Bryce Windham, Nick Lofton, and Michael Massey. Uh, and I don't and- know. We haven't we haven't planned dates yet, but I have uh, I have Jordan Wicks. He wants to he he's going to come on. Um, He's, he is 100% in. And then a little preview for next winter of 22, we have Ben Hecht, uh, who will be 
post Tommy John surgery and post Tommy John rehab and back through another full season of playing. So we're going to have a lot of unique stories. That's a, that's a pretty loaded ass lineup. If you ask me, that's what I'm saying, man, we got three first round picks in our first season. Yeah. That's pretty damn cool. Yeah. I mean, I, Brian, I, I think don't it's going to be, but I'm pretty excited. I think it's going to be fun too. You know, I think, I think the, I think the challenge is going to be, um, it's going to take, you know, compiling a guest list is it's going to be difficult for at some point it's going to become difficult for this show because there's a certain amount of comfortability that's going to be necessary to be on here. And, and I have that with every guy that I have on this, on this, uh, on our list for now, and even with Ben and uh, leading into next year, but I think it's going to be fun because every guy that comes on, I don't know that we're going to have to pry too much. You know, I think every guy know coming, every guy who comes on knows full well, what, what we're going to be getting into and uh, just the expectation that they're going to be honest, transparent, open, vulnerable, you name it. So uh, I'm excited, man. We got, we got a whole lot of fun stories, whole lot of, you know, just different paths, man. That's like, I can't emphasize it enough, just different paths. You know, what'll be really cool is when guys reach out to us Mm -hmm. and say, Hey, I, I dig what you guys are doing. Hopefully that this happens. (laughs) I dig what you guys are doing. I'd like to come on your show. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can, the show that I do, uh, that, that, that started to happen after a while, you know, it happened with me. Yeah. Cause you were starting to like all my tweets and I was like, Hey, when, when am I coming on? (laughs) Yeah. When are we doing this? Cause I feel like this is going to happen, but when are we doing it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll happen for, for us too. I think, um, you know, it's when we start talking to people and, and word gets out, I think people are going to be like, Hey, I want to go talk to these guys. It'll be fun. So, yeah. You know, and, and I just, you know, if, if we're fortunate enough that we still have listeners at this point in the episode, you know, I can't emphasize enough. I had, I had a tweet the other day um, where I talked about, you know, obviously my name is on this podcast and obviously I'm the first episode and um, but I can't, I can't explain enough how much it is that, the guests that we're having on and, and Chris and Brian, these are the guys who make the content. You know, I can, I can facilitate it. I can be a small addition, but it's not me that makes the content great. It's, it's everybody else. And that's, that's why I'm not doing the YouTube series this winter is because last winter it was fun because it was everybody else that was in it, right? You had Rio, you had Aiden, you had um, Alex Mikalakis, our intern, you had Eric Sim, like you had all these different personalities coming together and that's what made it great. Sure, I was consistent in there, but it wasn't me that made the content great. It was everybody else. And I don't, I don't want this whole podcast to become about me. I want this to be about the people I get to work with every day and the people I get to get to know and really just like, open up with and like it's gonna be so cool having these dudes on because these are the guys that make the content amazing it just take it it takes somebody willing to put themselves out there which us three are willing to do um but the guys that we're going to be bringing on as guests those are the guys that are making the content what it is that's that those are the guys fulfilling the vision that we have um i can't i can't explain enough this is not about me this is about the guys that we are bringing on and the humanity and this just amazing community of amazing dudes that all have amazing stories. Hell yeah, man. We covered a lot in this episode. We did. We did. We really did. <laughs> Is there anything, Brian, Max, anything that we missed? 
I think we're gonna I, I do think the future episodes will allow us to dig into certain of those moments of Max's season a little more in terms of what his teammates were seeing from him but no I mean I I think we pretty much hit the majority of the outings and and certainly a lot of the headspace that was there over those those few months I'm I'm really glad we got that in detail I'm glad we touched on the positive too I think we got I think we got to a point um where we were very, uh, we were consistently talking about the bad. And I, you know, as much as I want to highlight that, I, there, there was also a lot of good to take away from the summer. And I'm, and I'm aware of that, but um, I also do want to use this as a venue to be, like I said, entirely transparent and, and honest. So um, I'm glad we got to touch on both the good and the bad. The only, I think, uh, last thing we got to do is we got to thank Joe at Obvious Shirts for being our presenting sponsor. Um, I don't think I have to do a lot to, to help sell obvious shirts. He's a, he's a machine over there, but you know, I think, I think everybody listening, you know, go, go check out obviousshirts.com. Um, and if anything jumps out at you, you know, just tell Joe, we sent you. And also there Joe, be, if you're listening at be. this point, Joe, if you're listening at this point, we're sorry that we stuck your ad at the end. We'll put it at a better point in the show from now on. <laughs> there will be there will be something that will get your attention at obvious shirts, especially if you're a Cubs fan. I mean, Come on, there's the, the I sh- Friday I showed it to, shirts. I showed it to Aiden, and he already wants to, like, Aiden, myself, uh, we want to work with Joe on, like, a minor league line. So, there like, go. there's going to be something there at some point, I think. Uh, oh, so we got like to grow the show a little bit. We got to grow our personal brands a little bit. But I think there's going to be something there in the future. But if you go to Obvious Shirts and you don't find something that you like, I just I, – I don't know what to tell you. You're not a good <laughs> consumer at that point. <laughs> Hell yeah. Nice. Nice. I like it. Well, I don't know how we end this show. We never really, t- we talked about how to do the intro, but I don't know how we end it. So I guess we just say for, for the millions of people that are listening, thank you so much. We're going to have another one out very soon. We don't know when, but it'll be soon. Soon's relative, right? But we're going to get to work. We're going to get in a lab, get in the studio together. We're going to mix it up. But Absolutely. Uh, Thanks and if for again, listening. if you if you if you liked what you heard today, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, leave a good review. And uh, you know, if you've listened to if you've listened to the Pat McAfee show, no free ads, uh, his famous saying is uh, if you don't like what you heard today, let's just pretend like it never happened and we'll go our separate ways. Mm-hmm.